Welcome to episode 243 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Vlad Magdalene. He is the CEO and co-founder of Webflow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, jinx. How does that work? I think you should you say jinx. You can't say Stop. You can't I'm say anything. Sure you say jinx. Yeah, I'm never going to buy you a Coke. You heard it here, folks. Brent has broken the sacred rules. You're all free. Binding us I by fixed jinx. Them. Uh, we had a very fun and uh, also longer than normal conversation mm-hmm. with Vlad. Uh, it went very well. Most of our episodes are, are about an hour. This one, uh, you'll notice, is a little bit longer. Like uh, 2x. But that's because we... If you we, listen to it at 2x, it'll be it'll an hour. Be, <laughs> it'll be normal speed, uh, normal time. Uh, but that's because we had a lot of stuff to cover. Um, it was really fun getting to catch up with Vlad. Uh, we've gotten to know him a little bit over the last couple of years, and getting him on the shows uh, feels really good. So we hope you enjoy this episode. But before we get into it, we want to thank our sponsor for making this specific episode possible. And it's our Lord and Savior, Spectrum. All praise goeth to Spectrum. If you missed it, we've started our own cult. Is basically the thing. We started a cult. Yeah, um, but it's cult is a new term that we coined yeah. to replace community. Like yeah, everyone says online community or like online branded community. That doesn't sound as good. Cult it is. Mm-hmm. It really rolls off the tongue nicely. Uh, and the cool thing about our cult is it's uh, entirely open source. I don't know if you might have missed this open announcement. Source cult. Open source cult. You can submit a PR. Uh, we'll review it. Most likely deny it because we are a uh, author- we're judicious. We're an authoritarian cult uh, by design. Uh, but we're open source now. This is the big announcement. Uh, if you missed it last week, we open sourced our entire code base, uh, front end, back end, everything that's all on GitHub. And the reason this is so important to us is because we want uh, the community to be involved in building this with us. Uh, you can see all of the ways that we store and use data. You can yep. see the, the features that are coming down the pipeline. You can uh, see... It is the most transparent we could possibly be. Yeah. Uh, and we made that choice deliberately because we think it's important that people know what is being done with their data and like where their stuff lives and feeling comfortable that, mm-hmm. hey, we're a startup. We might not be around in a couple of years. We think we're going to do really well, but we'll find <laughs> out, huh? So now if you spend time and money building a community on Spectrum, it should stay around. Yep. So now it absolutely will. If you are interested in getting into open source uh, and or are learning how to program or want to see how we built specific things, uh, you should go check it out. Uh, one of the other reasons that we built it besides transparency was how... Was we how, wanted a cult of our own. <laughs> really, how can we help people learn? Um, we've learned so much from the open source community uh, and this is our little way of giving back. So you can go to uh, Spectrum, uh, search for it on GitHub, you'll find our repo. repo and uh, if Thanks you, to all the people who already like yeah. made pull requests and like checked it out. and It's like it was number two in JavaScript and yeah. like number three overall or something. Like, Thank you to all of you who went and checked that out. That was really cool. If, if you go to the issues tab, we have a label called Good First Issue. So if you are interested in contributing to what we're building, uh, you can search for Good First Issues. And it's usually lower hanging uh, tasks, including typos and things like that, that. That would be great pull requests and can help you get involved in open source. Yeah, super cool stuff. We're really happy. We're proud of it. The reception's been amazing. So it seems like y'all are happy about it too. But... Go check out Spectrum. It's really cool. We did a good job. I'm really proud of us. <laughs> we think. We, but nope, we did also it. Other people we did a real that, good so job. We feel uh, some, degree, some degree of vindication. Um, we hope you go check it out. Spectrum.chat, of course, is where you can find and discover all sorts of communities for designers, developers, and more. Or if you or your organization or company needs a place to build an online community, we hope you'll check out Spectrum.chat. Those start out for free. 
uh, pretty easy to spin one up. Again, that's at spectrum.chat, and uh, we hope you check us out. And with that, let's get to episode 243 with Vlad Magdalene. Uh, well, hey, I'm Vlad Magdalene. I uh, work at a company called Webflow that I started with my uh, brother and uh, a friend of ours that we work together with at Intuit. Um, and I've been running that company for five years, and we focus a lot on design tools and web design, and that's what a lot of my life has been about recently. Uh, I have a wife and two amazing kids, mm-hmm. uh, two girls, seven and nine, and they keep me busy the rest of the time. Mm-hmm. So, and but, how often are you sending government secrets back to Russia? Um, wow, going hard right <laughs> off the gate. <laughs> it's in your Twitter profile, <laughs> right? So only. I'd say only a small percent of the secrets I sent back are the government ones. Okay. Um, so the government ones are pretty irregular. I see. Uh, but other secrets, I sort of have like a zapier. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little private Twitter list. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, only one of you guys are on that list, by the oh, way. Oh, shit. It ain't I'll, me. Let you, I'll let you figure out who it is. <laughs> it's probably Bryn. <laughs> Uh, for people that don't know, what is Webflow? Uh, Webflow is a started as a uh, WYSIWYG website builder, mm-hmm. um, just a landing page builder. Uh, but now it's a pretty expansive, just all-in-one web design platform mm-hmm. where you can uh, kind of architect a website, create sort of a co- content architecture, uh, create the entire design, push it live to production, collaborate with clients, yeah. set up a CMS. Uh, pretty soon we're going to have e-commerce uh, so you can the run a store. Page is great. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan did it's a great amazing. job. Yeah. Yep. Uh, by the way, Ryan, uh, who's a designer that works at Webflow, uh, helped create the design details logo. Yes. Yep. I believe. He did. Uh, he, uh, he helped in that he did it. <laughs> in that he did the whole he did thing. The thing. Right. <laughs> he said something to the effect of like, uh, tell those guys it's a little outdated. <laughs> I think he just wants more work. I think, yeah. yeah. Maybe he's bored. Yeah, probably. I think that's a sign for you. That's, uh, I'll have to think about that one. <laughs> he needs to We saw how much project. he's bullied in the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's why he moved to San Luis Obispo. Oh. Did he move? Uh, just, just for a little while. Got He'll it. be back. Oh, cool. He'll be back. Um, I, I he wanna... got in touch with me because I said SLO instead of slow one time. <laughs> that's how we met <laughs> that in the was, first. Was that this week? Oh, that, that you was did, a long time ago. You did ago. the same yeah, thing yeah. last week. Yeah. Did that yeah, conversation happen in San Fran? Frisco, actually. Okay, it's <laughs> <is> even worse. <laughs> oh, uh, shit. Don't tweet us. Right, right. <laughs> Tr- uh, trigger warning. I think we could talk a lot about design tools and company building and stuff. Sure, so sure. before we get into it, I want to know a little bit more about you. Where are you from? Sure. Uh, so I was born in Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, no, I was born in the Soviet Union. Hmm. Uh, uh, Isn't that I, a song, Born in the Soviet Union? Um, I think... The, I don't know. That was dumb. Sounds like it. Sarah. Yeah. <laughs> no, leave that, Sarah. I think there's a reference to the 4th of July in a song somewhere. <laughs> Born on the 4th of yeah, July? Yeah, exactly. Isn't that a movie? I don't know. I, um, again, as I mentioned, I grew up in Russia, uh-huh. so I didn't get any of this. Uh, well, Soviet Union. Uh, sure. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Coming in hard. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, born uh, born in the Soviet Union, uh, kind of the the southern edge of it, uh, right next to Georgia and Chechnya, which is really sketchy right now. Um, went to first and second grade there, uh, so had a had quite a 
an interesting um, kind of growing up experience where, you know, we didn't have electricity, uh, had like an outhouse, had our own farm. That was like everybody was uh, uh, kind of growing their own food for the most part. Uh, had a cow for a while, our own chickens. Um, Do you miss the cow? Um, I, what was the cow's name? <laughs> Tell me. More. I think we just called them cow because the, <laughs> That's pretty awesome. the, the assumption was that they, they, they would, yeah. uh, they would be around for too food. Long. <laughs> exactly. We didn't get too attached to our, uh, <laughs> future food. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that was, that was pretty fun because it was, uh, it was really free range speaking of chickens. <laughs> um, like we would just, you know, come, come home from school and just roam the uh the outskirts of of town like go catch crawdads with our hands and mm-hmm. cook them ourselves and like start fires bonfires in the in the backwoods nice. uh throw like we had these kind of you know raid or whatever like to kill yeah. mm-hmm. um wasps uh, bugs or yeah, yeah exactly uh so we would throw those things in the fire and they just <laughs> explode it was completely <laughs> unsafe yeah and yeah. as all, as first graders do exactly <laughs> And all the all the roof tiles are made out of asbestos. Yeah, uh, we throw those in there. They're yeah. like really um, crackle and explode. Yeah. Hey, so, have you been to a doctor lately? <laughs> exactly. Do you not have mesothelioma? Re- re- <laughs> I saw uh, I, I saw a TV advertisement that you might be interested yeah. in. <laughs> that that might be one way to finance uh, <laughs> Webflow. Webflow. Yeah. <laughs> I'll look into that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, one one thing about growing up in Russia, my parents were um, huge reason I'm here. My parents were um, a Baptist, which is like a Protestant religion mm-hmm. that uh, was very looked down upon uh, by the state. So there's a lot of uh, persecution uh, through, especially like during Stalin's time, less so uh, when my my parents were still there. Uh, but enough of a uh, kind of remnant that it was like really felt there. And, and um, like just to give you an idea, my grandfather's um so my grandpa's dad was shot by firing squad for having a bible in his house Jeez. Uh, yeah it's like brutal uh and yeah. you know their family was told that he went to a labor camp or whatever they didn't find out for 25 years later um that what actually happened hmm. um so the, they still had some hope that he was alive so anyway like that lingered through the, the stalin days the khrushchev days and um uh, there was still a lot of like all right if you're religious then you know, everybody was sort of like ridiculed, like our teacher ridiculed my brother and I. Uh, we happened to be in the same class. Um, so that actually set the stage for uh, the U.S. government to set up like this refugee program specifically for um, like people of uh, like Pentecostal, Baptist uh, religions. Um, so there's like this tiny open window that my parents didn't want to apply to, but my grandma applied to on their behalf. And it was crazy. Like she, um, Wait, why didn't your parents want to? Uh, like my parents thought that they. What would they do with the cow? Because um, imagine growing up. Imagine <laughs> growing up can in we a bring country. Cow? <laughs> imagine growing up in, in a country where, like, every day you hear propaganda about how how bad America is. Uh. Right. Um. It's it's sort of like North Korea light. Uh. So for them, it was um, you know, it wasn't very clear what the like what life on the other side was. Um. But my grandma applied and and happened to like barely get in under this quota um, and then came here in 1991. Um, and I didn't know, like my parents didn't know any English. I knew one word. It was the word cloud, believe it or not. Wow. Um, watched, setting, setting the stage for exactly, the future. This guy. Exactly. <laughs> watched Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Hell yes. Uh, with Is that with Kevin Costner? Yes. Is that the one? Okay. Uh, so that was my first airplane journey. 
Dope. Um, so Dude, I just remember that part and my start. ears really exactly. Uh, and then, so, so by but, the time you got here, you were like green made Merriam and cloud. Exactly. And, and, um, in, in Russia, we had nothing outside of like potatoes and cherries and like things that you could grow in your own, you know, mm-hmm. um, in your own backyard or whatever. Uh, so when we got here, I was like, what are these yellow things? Uh, they're bananas. Yeah. Uh, and I just went crazy. You like, went bananas? I probably, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went bananas for bananas. I probably ate like, you know, eight to 10 a day. Fuck. Uh, and like a couple of weeks later, I was just like, all right, welcome to America. I'm, Maxed I'm, out on potassium, <laughs> I'm good for life. Exactly. It I have me, like, experienced peak built banana. Reserve. Right. I think, I think only when I got married, like, you know, 15 years later, uh, did I get back into banana <laughs> consumption territory? <laughs> you ready to dip your toe back <laughs> took, in? Yeah, it took a while. Um, that so must have been crazy. Uh, where did you move to in the U.S.? Uh, to Sacramento, which actually wow. has a, a, a huge uh, Russian population for the same reason. So, uh, like, there's the first there was the wave of 25,000 uh, individual adults plus their children. Uh, and then there was, like, the family reunification laws that allowed um, people could, to kind of, like, call their parents or immediate siblings or something like that, uh, what Trump calls, like, chain migration. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, that ended up translating to, like, 200,000 people in um, in Sacramento of, like, direct Russian uh Ancestry, wow. ancestry, yeah. or heritage, yeah, yeah, yeah. like they were Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of my friends growing up are Russian. Like, there's tons of churches. Uh, I think there there might be more Russian churches in Sacramento than um, yeah. There's like Russian Orthodox churches like everywhere there. There's actually it's a lot more of these uh, Protestant churches. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because they're the ones that were that makes fleeing yeah. persecution. Because the Orthodox, huh. like, if you were Orthodox, you weren't really being persecuted in Russia. Um, I, I'm embarrassed to admit I've I've never stopped in Sacramento. Yeah. So I had no, I would have never known that <laughs> my sister lives <laughs> pretty, there, which is the only reason I've only ever yeah. driven through. Uh, it's, uh, the, the only reason it's nice is just housing is cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, That's a great reason. And you can build a pool, but, yeah. uh, it's, it's not, it's not great for, uh, living full time. So, so how old were you when you, you ended up in Sacramento? Uh, I was nine. Nine. So, wow. Yeah. I went to, um, Went to school here immediately, like trying to catch up on English. It was uh, well, yeah. Well, what was that like? Um, Welcoming, you know. You know, actually, it was pretty fast. Uh, I think kids adapt really, really quickly when they're immersed. Um, so we had like tutors, you know, people because mm-hmm. it was a whole wave of um, of Russian immigrants. Uh, so they had some, you know, tutors and translators or whatever. But it was like maybe six, seven months in that all of us were like speaking English, thinking in English. It was the, the cutover was uh, pretty fast. And it was easy for, because um, at the time I was going to school in Russia, there's only eight grades, uh, whereas there's 12 here. And then you kind of go to technical school. So I came here like knowing how to write cursive, doing like long division fractions. Um, they really work as hard there. Uh, so it was pretty easy to... It, pretty easy like on an how'd you um, fit all that in and throw asbestos styles into a fire <laughs> dude it's uh and they they teach you how to put together ak-47s fire. uh that's a joke uh, <laughs> <laughs> i was like really <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh they used to though like my um my my wife's mom tells a story of how uh during the actual cold war uh you know before the uh which was like when 
the Soviet Union. restructuring, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, they would actually, you know, when when American kids would hide under, um, you know, there's some sort of uh, drill, they'd hide under their desks while uh, Russian kids would put on their gas masks and like learn how to put a rifle Jesus. together. <laughs> it's pretty nuts. That's um, pretty nuts. Yeah. I don't know how um, how accurate that story is. But, sure. You know. Is your wife Russian as well? She is, yeah. But she came here um, when she was a lot younger. She was two. And her family came here two years before. They had to like jump through a couple countries, um, through Italy and I forget where else, before they ended up here. I see. Because the process wasn't like finalized. Yeah. Um, wasn't as smooth. So uh, tell me a little more about the transition. You went from uh, burning asbestos in your backyard. <laughs> uh, now you're in Sacramento. What, yeah. What was what was going on? So it was a. I mean, we were super comparative, like pretty poor. We were on welfare um, for the first year or so. Like that was kind of uh, par for the course. Like parents couldn't work. Uh, you know, they have to like train, um, uh, l- learn some semblance of English, try to find a job. Uh, not their degrees or whatever they had don't transfer over you have to kind of like prove that you know um certain skill uh so so the first first year or so was pretty uh pretty rough like we had this so i have five other siblings so so there's six of us total oh my god uh and my parents and they had like this plymouth uh this five-seater that we would all go into like i I don't know if this is getting my parents in trouble, but like literally <laughs> statute of limitations, yeah, I think. Exactly. Sometimes we would literally go in the trunk uh, to get to church or something <laughs> like that. Like it was just like, all right, there's enough, there's enough space. There's physical, enough cubic uh, meters <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Meters. Uh, <laughs> you live in America now. <laughs> uh, anyway, like there's enough space here where we can all breathe and, and fit and the cops won't see from the outside. Um, so yeah, that was... That was These are the, the car buying criteria. Yeah, yeah. Can the cops see it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then like uh, about a year in, uh, we moved to like this two-story house, got a trampoline, you know, it's like American dream. Yeah. Um, the trampoline but, is really what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The trampoline and back problems. That's oh, yeah. the American dream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the, and, and from then on, it's just been kind of. Um, What'd you get into when you were in school? Like, what did I get into? Were there, were there things that you've been into as like a been child into felonies almost uh, <laughs> all right were you, were, you, were you a troublemaker i wasn't a troublemaker but there was a couple times that um you got surgery to do it yeah what uh <laughs> yeah surgery's my brother by the way and my co-founder um that brent happens to know but nobody else does he's like a uh, hidden treasure he's mm-hmm. sneaky yeah yeah um so we, like, for example, I got a, I, I really got into laser pointers before they were a thing. And, you know, I, I saved you up You are for, a laser pointer hipster. You oh, yeah. Laser pointer pioneer. No, this was like before. Exactly. <laughs> you had to pay like $200 for a laser pointer. Um, Worth it. Exactly. And then I, I would play with the, with the dog next door. And then the neighbor called the cops thinking that his dog's about to get sniped, sniped or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then this, this other time. We, so we had a friend, um, a friend who lived a few doors down and he, uh, he would come over and spend the night every, every few weeks. We'd go over and spend the night there every few weeks. And his family decided to move away. We lived in this little cul-de-sac where the two-story house was. Um, and he was spending the night, like as they were moving and he said, Hey, my, my parents, uh, left some boxes in our, in our garage. 
Um, you want to just go pick them up? Like, that's stuff my mom doesn't want. Um, well, I'm, all right, sure. So we go over there. The garage is closed. Um, it's like, oh, yeah, you can go through the, through the side door. So we get our little sister, um, and she climbs to the window in the garage, opens the garage, and sure enough, there's two, two boxes in there. So we bring them home, and there's, like, nice stuff in there, like dishes, china, like paintings, um, some clothes, and uh, you couldn't see it was a honeypot. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it was like we were just overjoyed. Like, this is free stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we made sure with him, like, hey, are you sure your mom doesn't want this stuff? Um, so three months later, uh, we're having a yard sale. Um, just, you know, a bunch of random stuff that, that we don't need anymore. And this is about, you know, four hours into it. We've sold half the stuff and a couple comes in. Uh, and I'm I'm doing all the selling with my older brother because my parents don't speak English still, and you know they're like really uncomfortable. And and this couple says, uh, "This is our stuff." Um, so so and they then leave immediately. All of a sudden, you can't speak English. They, no, they <laughs> leave immediately and come back like ten minutes later with four cop cars. And they uh, basically, I'm walking through the house with my mom and this lady. Uh, and she's pointing out all the things that they're like on our walls. They're in the like cupboards oh, or whatever. So it turns out we stole the boxes of the new family moving in. Oh, fuck. <laughs> so, so, so they handcuffed myself and my brother, take us like about to book us into juvenile hall. <laughs> and we, they finally tracked down this kid uh, who admits that, yes, I said it was you know, they sort of like correlate the timelines. Mm-hmm. Like who would in their right mind would sell boxes of mm-hmm. <laughs> stolen stuff yeah. of stolen stuff from, from like two, three, two doors, three down. doors down the street in a cul-de-sac <laughs> where everybody knows everybody. And some of it was monogrammed. My, my oh. <laughs> like, so uh, aside from those, those two things, uh, I don't think I was really a troublemaker. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would call maker. that being a victim of circumstance. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what was the original question? What else question? did you get into? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah what, what did you get into besides uh, oh, I got into, like, stealing stuff? <laughs> oh, I got into uh, when the new Mac came out. Mm. You know those iMacs that were mm. like kind of colorful? Yeah. I got into uh, PageMaker, mm. which was uh, kind of started my journey into design tools. Kind of was part of the yearbook crew. Um, high school. Yeah, high school. Um, got into photography a little bit. But mostly I was kind of an overachiever. I just wanted to get good grades and get, you know, the highest GPA or whatever. What were you trying fa- to prove? That he was um, better than Sergi. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I think I proved that pretty early, but it just kept go- <laughs> kept going. Um, I actually only got one B in high school. Yeah. And guess what that class was? Uh, web design. I don't S- know. Sex ed. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was because somebody you've got stole two kids now. So. Yeah, it's because somebody stole the, the teacher's remedial. book. Exactly. I, I had something to prove. Uh, <laughs> somebody stole the teacher's book, and uh, like he just got pissed off at everybody and gave everybody bees. bees. Yeah, that's fucked up. So, so that was. But then I went to college and I just didn't care a hoot about my grades. It was like what, what I changed? barely. I don't know. I just. Uh, well, like, were you doing stuff on the side or were you just um, chilling out at that point? Yeah, I started doing, um, I think it mostly because I just hated, because I, I went to SLO, <laughs> slow, <laughs> hey, <Ryan>. Obispo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I went there only because uh, I felt kind of pressured because my brother went there. Um, so my parents would have like one place to drive and, um, you know, easier for them to get everything kind of, uh, you know, one place to, to treat You're as very school or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so I started doing what my brother was doing, which was computer science, but I hated it. Like I ended up, um, like it was this accelerated computer science um, program and it was super hard for me. They were trying to do like, I don't know, artificial intelligence for, uh, not even artificial intelligence, like creating an algorithm to play chess or something like that. Um, and for me, I didn't even know how to like make a web form. Yeah. Um, so it was... Luckily for you, that's not part of chess. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so that was like super, um, I guess I just didn't enjoy it at all. Yeah. Uh, so after the first year, I dropped out um, and actually moved up here uh, to go to the Academy of Art um, to study 3D animation. I wanted to be like, all right, that's what you need to do to work at Pixar. Pixar and, was the dream. Yeah, Pixar was definitely the dream. Um, but what I didn't know was that the first two years, they don't have you touch a computer, period. So you have to learn like... I don't know principles form. of animation. It's no principles of like fundamentals color. of art, like yeah, color, uh, perspective, uh, you know, sculpting, um, illustration, like basic, you know, kind of mm -hmm. like tween animation on paper, which I kind of enjoyed, but mostly didn't enjoy. Do they know what year it is? <laughs> yeah, and this was like before the Academy of Art was even accredited, so it was like oh, really expensive. Yeah. And uh, the way to get in was like, uh, do you have enough money to get in? Uh, or like, can you borrow enough money to get in as, as was the case for me? Uh, then, all right, congratulations. You're an artist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You can, uh, you can attend. Um, so I finished two years there and during that time, actually, um, like one thing happened that I think changed the, um, trajectory of like everything I was working on. There was a startup, um, in the, in the late nineties called quick dot, I think. Um, and it was like an async communication, uh, thing for, um, for groups. So, it's kind of like email, but you like log in and you see you have, let's say, uh, a group for your, um, you know, some class for like a group project. It was basically Slack uh, before hmm. uh, it was, was kind of a combination of Slack and whatever that um, what's the Facebook, the chat thing that they acquired for like $200 billion. WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Yeah, WhatsApp. It was kind of like WhatsApp. So it's async. Uh, in that you can go check the messages you got after the fact. So it wasn't like a text message. And it was group, uh, group chat. Are you trolling us right now? No, no, no I'm not joking. <laughs> so so this Quick Dot company, like all my high school friends were using it. Um, and then they started like, you know, this is the the, um, the late 90s. And then like after the crash, they tried to get into like cell phones and they ran out of money. So they had to shut it down. And this was like right as I was in... in um, in art school, I'm like, holy crap, I can't lose this. This is like the main way I communicate with my friends. Uh, so I picked up a book on ASP.NET 2.0. Nice. And and I wanted to rebuild this thing. Future like, proof. Exactly. It's <laughs> <laughs> 2.0, 2.0, um, in my defense. Uh, so I, that's when I, th that's the first time I actually had an experience with programming that um, I really enjoyed because I was like trying to solve a real problem. It's actually, I'm, I was doing exactly what you guys are doing right now with Spectrum. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was basically Spectrum. Yeah, what actually. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> that, that was my question about trolling us. I was yeah. like, oh, uh, cool, I've heard of or, this thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's called um, 
I decided to call it Chatterfox, which I was so proud of getting the domain because uh, like Chatterbox, Chatterfox. Oh, I yep. see. Um, and got my best friend to like do all the illustrations with like this fox mascot. Um, so this was like towards the second year of art school. And I was just, you know, we got like thousands of users, uh, all the people who were using QuickDot. Uh, like as they found out about it, like, okay, this is like almost a direct replacement. And by the way, this was one giant ASPX file. Like there was no, I had no idea. I had no idea how to write software. Yeah. It was like, it was like, if, if homepage, like (laughs) render this stuff. (laughs) I'm sure that, I'm sure that was like, yeah, it was, uh, I need to dig that up somewhere. Anyway, it worked. Um, yeah, and and I I ended up doing like some Ajax stuff before Ajax was even a thing. Like I had yeah. like the, these little iframes to show the status of whether somebody was logged in or not, and it would like refresh the iframe yeah. with JavaScript. Yeah, and it looked like real time. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize that it was kind of like ahead of its time at the time. Look at you, uh, pioneer exactly <laughs> of both exactly. laser pointers. And <laughs> yeah. <Ajax>. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and innovative robbery techniques. Yes. Um, so, so I really fell in love like with this idea of like, hey, I can actually solve people's problems um, by by writing software. Uh, and right around that time, this is uh, this second year was almost over um, of art school. I started taking three D animation classes, and they were terrible at the school. Like they were just you know Dude. students who who dropped who just dropped out or just graduated couldn't get a job. They hired him as teachers. Um, so, kind of, that was a, a lucky combination of events where I was like, "Hey, I'm kind of loving programming again. Um, I can just go back to Cal Poly and and finish my computer science degree." Um, so I dropped out of um, the Academy of Art, went back to uh, Cal Poly, uh, re-enrolled. By the way, none of my all of these like advanced art classes I took because it wasn't accredited mm-hmm. didn't even Nothing count for an art yeah. elective <laughs> um, so that was fun I, um, I think there's something to be said there about the like CS path versus mm-hmm. the like you learned how to build like program a thing to solve a problem mm-hmm. without having to get into like technical theory and I think right. it's really hard to get into engineering without a specific problem to solve yeah uh, well, at least in my yeah, experience that resonates no, exactly. with me because like I can't read a f- programming book to save my right. life like I I don't find theory like my brain doesn't work that mm-hmm. way but if it's like hey there's a specific problem yep. area I'm, yeah. I'm happy to google my way through that yeah uh, I don't it's, know I think it's kind of like uh, one one analogy I've used before is it's sort of like parenting uh, like when you before you start to become a parent, you're like, oh, I'm program like, your children. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, like theoretically, I can read all these books and find out how to do it or whatever. Yeah. But nobody does that. It's like really, it's pretty hard. Uh, it's only when you start to practice, like you have some intrinsic motivation mm-hmm. to, you know, like keep your kids alive yeah. and um, <laughs> make sure they're well fed or whatever. That you just yeah. find out. <laughs> I, I was hoping for something more meaningfully motivating, but <laughs> sure. Keep alive is hard. I know. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Just keep alive. What's connection. the TTL? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Ha. Um, yeah. It, and when I be- went back to, um, that's actually true. When I went back to Cal Poly to do um, like finish my computer science degree. I don't think I ever learned anything in those classes that I have applied ever um, in you know m- the job I got after I graduated. Like it was all theory, how to build a processor, how to like do well, logic low gates. level yeah. logic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which um, is fine. Like that resonates with a lot proofs. of people. And yeah, you're gonna 
do really well at like a fucking machine learning company or something. (laughs) Exactly. I think that's the science part of it. That's like if you want to be like an actual computer scientist. Uh, But the thing that I started doing there, why I like really didn't care about um, getting good grades at kind of the rest of my tenure at Cal Poly, I started working at this um, uh, this agency uh, that had a CMS, and they just built uh, kind of like these content websites, like really kind of artistic but database-backed uh, com- um, websites for huge companies like Apple, Quicksilver, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. So that's where, um, like it was sort of a part-time job, but but most of my mental energy went in there because I was learning a lot more about mm-hmm. you know web programming there and kind of like working with real clients and um, doing actual work rather than you yeah. know being quizzed on like exactly how registers yeah. uh, store values. Wait, uh, what, what happened to Chatterfox? Uh, so Chatterfox was still kind of a, um, uh, I had it going on the side, like it wasn't making any money. Um, so I had a server up here in the city. Like I, I saved up forever to buy like this Dell Power Edge 2U server, nice. uh, which, you know, AWS didn't exist back then. So you had mm. to like get real with yeah. like, order your own hard drives. Yeah. And, um, had like a co-located space here. And I started doing more web design projects on the side uh, just to keep the lights on because like, you know, I had to pay for like co-location. And, um, and over time, this is around, so this must have been like 2004, um, 2005, like MySpace started becoming a thing and people like found other ways to, you know, social network mm-hmm. that, that weren't one giant ASPX file. Yeah, yeah. But w- <laughs> was there any temptation there? Like, oh, this is maybe a startup, like I could raise money and, and so hire people and build this out. I wasn't in that scene. Like, I didn't know that you could actually, like, get money. And uh, it wasn't until many years later, like, there's a, um, a VC, I think it was CRV, they announced, like, hey, you can get 150K uh, in, like, a convertible note that you don't have to pay back. And to me, that was just... Like what? How Bananas, do you, yeah. Yeah, like how do you, how would people, why would people give you money? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was already at a time when Chatterfox had gone, like the usage was really, really low. I see. Um, it was basically just me and my friends using it a little bit because Facebook mm-hmm. started becoming a thing. And um, so at that time it sort of waned. But working at this agency gave me like this new idea for uh, what ended up being Webflow uh, because they, um, you know, I would do this sort of like menial work of setting up, like a designer would create a template for what, you know, Quicksilver's product page would look like and the list of, you know, board shorts, what they would look like. Um, and then I would sort of uh, bootstrap the CMS to like write the HTML and CSS template that went into this uh, um, CMS. Uh, and sort of write out what each of those objects is like, kind of like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Active Record um, mm, no. with uh, Ruby on Rails, where you like describe an object and it creates a database for you. Yep. And like, yep. you just, it's like an ORM. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, I would do this stuff in a matter of days. It's just like boilerplate, copy paste, change some um, like values. Like first it was board shorts, then it was like writers, you know, like people, um, they would have like a name or a birth date or, a, you know, hometown or whatever. Um, but then I saw an invoice, uh, for my work that was billed to Quicksilver and for two days of my work, each of those data objects was billed at 150 K. Um, so each line item, and this was like almost what? 600. Yeah, exactly. And immediately my brain started thinking like, holy crap, I can automate the crap out of this. Like this is, I, I'm just repeating the same thing. I can create like this visual 
editor that that lets anyone like lets one of the designers that's creating um, these designs and passing them off as uh, Photoshop files. Uh, I can create something that they could use to essentially like press a button, it'll go into the CMS. Like it'll generate the the necessary code for it. So was it really like a light bulb moment? That was the light bulb moment. Wow. Like if I had not seen that um, that invoice, which I wasn't supposed to see, it was like the creative director just left it on his desk. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, yeah. Um, wow. I think I, it wouldn't have like the, the, the opportunity um, or like thinking about it as like a, a potential like huge solution wouldn't have wouldn't have come up because in my brain it didn't associate like how much value was associated with Mm -hmm. this work to the to the end company um so so that's when um i was inspired to write kind of uh, my senior senior project on this idea of like visually building dynamic driven applications using kind of like a ui um so that's where all of these ideas started started coalescing it wasn't necessarily like a complete um, what Webflow became over time wasn't exactly what I imagined back then. I imagined more of like a, um, you know, like a more forms-based builder where you would describe all these objects or whatever, and then like in a template, like an HTML template, like bind to that data. It was still pretty technical, uh, but still, it was enough of a um, enough of a kind of like boost of inspiration that, um, like I borrowed a ton of money to get the domain name like I was really in love with the name Webflow um, which I've had since 2000 webflow.com I mean like since uh, 2005 like late 2005 or whatever Uh, thankfully the company that had it before was another like uh, late 90s raised a ton of money had like Eric Schmidt who you know ran Google for a while as their CFO and they just crashed hard and had to sell um, kind of at the bottom of the barrel so I I found it just the right time Uh, but then like life kind of took over Um, you know I was about to graduate and then um, my wife Natalia and I we started uh, started dating during that time and right after I graduated we got married uh, then got it Got my first job at Intuit, which was just initially just soul sucking because I was working on payroll. Yeah, what did you, uh, programming or design? Yeah, programming. Programming. Um, so I was working on like this payroll uh, product, and you know they were using like super old school technology to try to bring in Prototype JS. I don't know if you know what that uh-huh. is. It was like pre jQuery. Uh-huh. Uh, it was like the future, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. So so I I like integrated into the code base, and then we launched it, and something crashed because it didn't support like all the browsers. And then I just learned what it was like working at a large company. Like, yeah, roll everything back. We don't take risks like this. So that was, that was fun times. But thankfully, um, Intuit had this uh, amazing program they call um, white space time or unstructured time, which is like 10% time, uh, which is something we've introduced at Webflow as well, where you can just like work on whatever. Like just find, you know, find other coworkers, like whatever you're passionate about. Yep. Uh, you can uh, you can spend 10% of your time uh, working on it. You can sort of bank your time and like, you know, work on it um, a week at a time if you save it up, as long as you get like your manager's buy-in or whatever. And honestly, it turned into like 110% time, you know, like nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. It, it's not really, uh, but just the idea of it was inspirational enough that we started working on this. Um, when your company encourages you to work on what you're excited about, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it ended up, I was spending like a good chunk of my nights and weekends on this thing. Uh, it was a, a SaaS product uh, called Brainstorm. It was like to enable other people in the company to like share their ideas uh, with the CEO or with like other VPs or whatever, where you can sort of create an, a, a profile for an idea and, you know, have conversations around it, sort of develop it to something that can uh, go to market. Um, and that really took off. So um, 
about a year in, I uh, I was like really tired working on payroll full time, and I was working with um, one of the who, one of my coworkers at Intuit who had like this idea for brainstorm and, and kind of came to me to, to pitch it to me to to kind of program it. That's when we heard about the CRV thing. Like you can get investors, you can get um, at the YC started becoming a thing. Like Weebly launched. The there was like this air of holy crap, you can you can actually like run a startup or whatever. Um, so we got super excited. Like I got super excited about launching Webflow. Like, hey, this could be kind of like an application builder. Uh, so we put together like a pitch deck, uh, started reaching out to like some, you know, friends of friends who knew investors, um, started putting together an application for YC. And then, oh, we found like a lawyer that did like all the incorporation mm-hmm. and, and whatnot. Um, and then I think it was like a month or two in, we were sort of doing it on the side, kind of planning our uh, escape. Um, and then we got some letter from a company in Florida that says, hey, you can't use the name Webflow. Like we have the trademark uh, for some sort of educational software. Um, so that like completely killed it for me. I was like, well, if it can't be called Webflow, I'm just going <laughs> to <Fuck> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just going to like, so, so honestly, it just like the, the passion around it just died. Oh, no. Um, so, but it, it came at a time um, when I just wanted to quit into it. I was just like, like re- even though we had this kind of 10% time, um, I was really tired of uh, working on payroll. Um, I can't imagine ever getting tired of that. <laughs> ever. Well, if you um, if you were smart, you could. Uh, uh, if I was smart at at that time, I would do that whole like office space thing where you can just like siphon off a penny. Yeah, I think that would have that would kept have been, me motivated. Yeah. yeah, and would have kept up your streak of like exactly. yeah, crime, exactly. crime, uh, exactly committing um, <laughs> activities, <laughs> crime committing activities. Love it. Um, so anyway, the um, I I told my boss like, hey, um, I'm we're going to be moving to Sacramento. Like we're thinking of having kids, like we can't afford to live around here. And he was like, okay, fine. But then the guy who used to run the Intuit Innovation Lab, this guy named Roy, who knew what I was working on for Brainstorm, uh, gave me a call and said, hey, would you like to work on Brainstorm full time from Sacramento? So I was like, hell yes. Like, this is amazing. This is like my baby, right? This, this, uh, project that I was writing, uh, essentially there was a designer that was helping, but mostly it was just, just me on it programming, uh, which was super fun. So I said, yes, moved to Sacramento. Um, you know, we got, it's a lot cheaper in Sacramento, by yeah, the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> that's the, the one advantage. That's a pretty big one. Yeah. Uh, so I was working remotely for like the next five years and it turned into a whole thing. Like we built out a team our second programmer aside from me ended up being Bryant, uh, who's now my co-founder, mm-hmm. our CTO. Um, and then there was a whole um, Kyle, one of our designers or one of our uh, product managers now, and one of the guys I wanted to start Webflow with the first time ended up joining the project. Wow. So we're kind of like this ragtag team of uh, people who wanted to work on something different, uh, sort of building a little startup within a, a big company. Yeah, tell me about that because the did Intuit technically own it since this was like a ten yeah. percent yeah, exactly. time thing? They they um they owned it and so you're still employed by Intuit. Yeah, but totally. you. But what, for us, it was super fun. Like, what was like, the oversight like? Like how oversight did... was minimal because yeah. as long as because uh, it, it ended up being really great for the company because a lot more ideas bubbled up, a lot more of these like projects actually came to fruition. Was it making money? Like, did you guys have revenue goals and all this stuff? So to live eventually, up to? we we ended up. Um, so initially, it was just like an internal thing. Yeah. But eventually, um, um, you know, our kind of innovation lab leader Roy 
was having conversations with other companies. They're like, yeah, we'd totally be willing to pay for this. Uh, so we ended up growing it over uh, a year and a half to like a million plus in revenue per year. Wow. Uh, mostly on, um, I think a, a good part of it was like the fact that Intuit's name was behind it. Like mm-hmm. it's it's a lot because because it was like intellectual property, right? Yep. We were like hosting other um, other companies sort of like internal ideas for how to improve the business mm-hmm. uh, on our server. So it was like, we had to learn a lot about like, you know, hosting security. Secure, securely, like encryption, um, encryption at rest, encryption at, in flight, uh, like all these sort of uh, enterprise sort of features integrated with Active Directory, yada, yada, yada. Oof, um, sounds, Active Directory is fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, um, it almost got to the point where it was so successful that um, we, were, we were allowed to spin it out as a as a separate business, and Intuit would keep like a small, ch- like relatively small chunk that they wouldn't have to report, um, you know, publicly because there's like a, a guideline, like if you're under nineteen percent or something like that, it, it's it's technically sort of like not, not big enough to to disclose. And it was mm-hmm. you know compared to the rest of Intuit's business, it was just like yeah. a grain mm-hmm. of sand or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, they um, I mean correctly uh, felt like the board felt that it would set up some weird incentives because it, was, it wasn't really related to like payroll or taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it would sort of uh, serve as an, an example of like, hey, you can work on whatever you want and we'll like basically finance you for free uh, because like we would keep the majority of the company. So they, even though it was sort of like implied that we could spin out the company, at the end of the day, they're like, yeah, it's it's better to just keep it internal. And for us, that was like having having that idea of like, hey, this is gonna be our startup that Intuit's gonna own like a, a small part of it was kind of like a high followed by a low of like, oh, okay, we can't we can't do that. So the team kind of started falling apart after that. Like uh, Bryant left to become CTO of another company. I sort of started you know thinking about other options. Uh, like started working on on Webflow a little bit more on the side. And then and then just as this was happening. Uh, this was like four years later, or five years uh, uh, after we had gotten that trademark letter. I got, I kid you not, the certificate for, all right, congratulations, you own Web, like you own Webflow as a trademark. What? I guess this company is like um, uh, trademark expired in Florida. They weren't using it. And somehow we're on some list. What? Uh, that, you know, <laughs> puts us next or whatever. And they're like, Congratulations. <laughs> Um, and in that, in that same span of, uh, like a few weeks, I, uh, somebody shared this video. I don't know if you guys ever have ever seen this video called, uh, inventing on principle by Brett Victor. Yeah, of course. And it was like this combination of events are so like, you know, this, this Intuit thing is kind of breaking down. Um, uh, I got the trademark and I just saw this video that basically asked the question, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, uh, why do you do the work that you do? And it had this whole focus on, you know, d- direct manipulation software yep. and and making it uh, easier for people uh, to like do this creative work without having to um, understand necessarily like do this tedious technical um, coding or yeah. whatnot. So so the combination of everything was just perfect. And my brother just had just graduated um, from UCSD and he was working at like a surf shop uh, designing posters and whatever. Um, and he had helped me create some websites before. Like he would do like the design in Photoshop and I would uh, kind of like convert it to WordPress. Um, so I gave him a call and like he happened to be in town and in Sacramento I was like, hey, let's, let's do this thing. Uh, just totally thinking that he's going to be like, well, I just got a job because this would be completely unpaid, right? <laughs> and he agreed, moved to 
Mountain View pretty much immediately because we yeah, kind of like had this um, idealistic plan of like, hey, we're going to put together a Kickstarter yeah, yeah, video yeah. and we're going to get into YC and, um, you know, like our two months of savings going to be enough. Um, <laughs> for sure. For which sure. turned into like, I think 10 months later, we got some sort of mm-hmm. funding, wow. which is which is a fun uh, journey. But but then it was like, we just hit the ground running. Like Wait, we, well, uh, before we get yeah. to hitting the ground running, what changed between when you were originally working at, at the agency and you're yeah. like, oh, I can automate some of this like mm-hmm. form building CMS yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then years and years and years later, you finally get the trademark. The web landscape had changed a lot in that time. Yep. And so what had changed in your mind as far as what Webflow would be and what it should look like and do? So between between those two times, um, like two major things happened. One, responsive design um, became a thing. Like it wasn't... Um, I Was think, design responsively always the tagline? No, it's pretty pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least like two years, two years ago. Mm-hmm. So, so responsive design became a thing uh, that nobody else seemed to be focusing on, uh, like the, as at a product level. At a product, it was level, like, like a trend in the industry. Exactly, like, like yeah. Adobe Muse wasn't uh, tackling it. Dreamweaver didn't have responsive mm-hmm. design. Adobe hadn't announced uh, they, they had a product called Reflow, uh, which they hadn't announced yet. So it seemed like nobody was really um, tackling that space. And in that like six year gap or something, I probably created a hundred plus websites for clients. So I learned a lot through that, um, like what the tedious repetitive nature Mm -hmm. of, you know, writing HTML and CSS and like hooking it up to a backend, uh, everything that was involved there. So by the time that um, I started talking to Sergi about like, hey, let's make this a thing, it was very clearly almost a different idea. It was like, it was like, how can we make Photoshop? Like, because we use Photoshop every day for, we used it kind of on the side to make websites. How do we make something that looks like Photoshop, but actually gives you a live website yeah. uh, at the end that's like correct and professional and fast and responsive, et cetera. Are we in the late 2000s at this point? This is 2012, early 2012. Um, so that period of time especially mm-hmm. was like, if you're not doing mobile first, you're you're killing yourself, right? Yeah. That, like that was the year Facebook transitioned to mobile and moved away from correct uh, the, the HTML5 app. So... Which, was it crazy at the time to say like we're going to build a company around web design instead of riding the the mobile hype train? It it was it felt uh, at the time like everybody was telling us like hey if you're not doing mobile then you're you're just yeah. like using yesterday's technology. Um, in retrospect, it ended up being a huge advantage for us because nobody was focusing on web design. Like it was it was sort of yeah like uh, a gap of exactly time. exactly. We had like two or three years mm-hmm. where we could just like sprint. Uh, and focus on. Uh, there were a couple other companies um, that that still saw this massive need for uh, web design software because you know compare the number of websites to the number of mobile apps. It's not even close. Uh, it's like two orders of magnitude yeah. um, more websites. Uh, so yeah, that was a huge advantage for us in that um, you know people weren't really paying attention to the to the space. But it was also a huge disadvantage for us when we started raising funding because uh, everyone wanted to hear apps. Yeah, everybody yeah. wants like. You know, just like two years ago, everybody wanted to hear blockchain or VR or whatever, uh, like web design. Two years ago. ago. <laughs> two days ago. <laughs> two days ago. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I came from the future yeah. to do this interview. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was, that was was kind of a fun thing. Like our, our whole like funding journey wasn't all that fun. Like we thought. So, wait, I want to hear it because. Okay, uh, so. <laughs> we've had our own funding journeys. Yeah. So, so this is August 2012 that we finally. Uh, decide. Okay, we're gonna. I'm 
I'm quitting my job. Um, we're going to do this full time. Sergi moves into my house uh, or a condo like here in Mountain View. Like we go buy just an Ikea mattress uh, for him to, to sleep on. That's um, all he deserves. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I had like, um, if I remember correctly, we had $15,000 in cash. Uh, this is like basically all of our savings, um, like my personal savings, where we're like, okay, this is, you know, it, it costs about $5,000 a month to like operate the family, right? Pay for rent, uh, pay for the car, uh, you know, food. Uh, our kids were in school, um, like uh, preschool, which you had to pay for at the time. And we're thinking, okay, that's more than enough time. Like we're going to, uh, first we paid $5,000 to a lawyer to like incorporate everything. So there's a third of it. Uh, then we spent two grand on Sergi's laptop because he didn't have one. Oh my God. Uh, I still had like my MacBook Air, which is like super proud of. So so what's left? Uh, you know, eight grand or something. Um, and then we embark on building this Kickstarter video, which we think, you know, we're going to launch a Kickstarter and it's going to, you know, raise all this this money. We're like targeting 300,000. Um, and we're just going to, you know, have enough time for the both of us to like work on it for a year and then release it. And then people are going to pay us uh, every month or whatever. Um, so we spent five grand on this video producer to create this video. We record most of it except for the screenshots, which we're like, okay, we're going to fill it in. Um, then after, after this whole thing, we find out that, uh, Kickstarter doesn't allow SaaS software. Uh, it has to be downloadable. You buy it. Uh, so we're just like, crap. We, sh- we should have read the terms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So at this time, we're like, okay, the only we, we only have a little bit of money left. And um, uh, now it's kind of a Hail Mary. Let's apply to YC. This is like October that year. Uh, so we apply. We have like somewhat of a demo. Um, it was like the f- super first version of Webflow. It's kind of a combination of like this demo that uh, Mozilla had of like editing stuff on the canvas. Um, so we apply and we like 100% know we're going to get in, um, you know, like, Come on, this is like the best thing that's ever been built. Yeah, uh, or at least that's what's <laughs> going through my head. Um, you know, we get the email saying like, "Hey, unfortunately, we decided not to whatever." So that's another six months that you can't apply right till the next uh, the next batch. batch. Yeah, so that was pretty demoralizing. And at this point, this was like late uh, mid November that we find out. So now I'm like starting to pull money out of thin air. Like we're, uh, you know, getting those credit card, you know, 1% get mm-hmm. right. Like a check for $10,000 to yourself. Thankfully I had like had enough credit, mm-hmm. like write a check to yourself. Okay. That buys us another two months. And then December. And at this time, like Sergi's, um, already talking about getting married. So he needs to like, like start having some income maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and find a place to live or something like that. And then, um, you know, I prom- promised my wife that it was going to be three months and then funding and then, you know, off to yep. the moon and all that stuff. Um, and then, so we're already out of money, already borrowing from credit cards. Then Christmas, the day before Christmas, so Christmas Eve, we find out our oldest daughter, she was uh, three at the time, I want to say. Yeah, 2009, three, she was three. Um, she has like a big bump on her stomach. Turns out she has a hernia. So to diagnose all that, we go to the hospital, like they do all these CAT scans. And anyway, all those scans that come out to like eight and a half grand, right? And mm-hmm. we have catastrophic insurance at that point. There's like $10,000 deductible plus, you know, uh, 30% co-insurance above that. Yep. Um, so like, all right, come up with that money. And then when she actually has to have the surgery, which is another 80 grand, like thankfully insurance covers mm-hmm. most of it. But on January 1st, the deductible rolls over. Yeah. So so now oh, we're just fuck. like wiping clean our, um, like the, the money we were able to save 
in my 401k at Intuit and basically withdrawing it with like penalties Huge penalty. uh, and, and hoping that, you know, when we file taxes, we can say like, this is all medical or whatever. So it, it was like, you know, we kind of got to the point where um, I think this was mid January where we were talking, like Sergi and I were, cause we were working at this place called the Hacker Dojo um, in, in Mountain View, which is like kind of dilapidated, you know, this sort of uh, office space with everything that was donated, like super old couches and, mm-hmm. you know, people would sleep there sometimes cause um, it's called the Hacker Dojo. Yep. <laughs> so, As one does. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, As is tradition. Yeah. So, so we'd like, you know, be working next to each other yeah. and kind of like starting these conversations of like, Hey, all right, you go back to San Diego, get your job back. And then I'll go back to Sacramento. We'll just keep doing this on the side. Like I'll, you know, I'll ask my boss for, for um, my job back. Cause we just can't, just can't do this longer. Um, and that's when we're like, all right, we're going to give um, ourselves eight more weeks. We put together like this kill list of like everything we need to, everything we need to do at a bare minimum to like show people what Webflow could be. Uh, so we, we put together this um, like essentially week by week, like the game plan. And if, and if we release something at the end of that, like we're just planning to put on Hacker News, Designer News didn't exist back then, I don't think. You know, if it works out, We'll um, we'll keep working on it uh, and try to like get some sort of like borrow some money or something like that. Uh, if it doesn't, then we'll just you know go start working on it on the side. What was the mindset of like YC or bust? Why not? Why weren't you talking to other investors or trying to like? We didn't know anybody honestly. Like we, um, it seemed like in my mind, it seemed like the way to get funding was to get into YC. I think that was kind of what they pitched it as yeah. back then. Yeah. It was like your intro to the valley kind of thing. Possibly. Yeah. But we were like, we were, you know, from Sacramento and San Diego, we didn't really know anybody yep. here. And honestly, I was just overwhelmed at like trying to pitch it to anybody. Like it's the classical, uh, classic sort of programmer, you know, if you build it, they will come sort of yep. mindset uh, that I definitely think we had um, where, you know, it was just like, all right, let's just add a couple more features. Mm-hmm. And and then this feature for sure yeah, exactly. will, will tip the scales. Exactly. Yeah. E-commerce. <laughs> Six years later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so we, um, we like cut out anything because initially we were like, okay, well, this isn't going to work and nobody's going to pay for this if it doesn't have, if you can't actually build a website and publish it and, you know, have a CMS or whatever. So then we cut out everything. Like we cut out the server and we just, we just said, let's make a demo. Um, so we ended up building this thing, which you can still see online at playground.webflow.com. It was like this like a site that we created with a bunch of examples, but nothing is persisted. So it's just like runs on S3. Like it, so we cut out a bunch of uh, the complexity and just showed the UI. Like you could, you know, design something, switch to an iPad um, and make some changes, see like how values are inherited and see the code that's generated. So it's like like an iPad viewport. Kind of. Is that what you mean? Uh, It switched to an iPad, like literally like it would show an iPad and uh, what that Mm -hmm. website looks like in the iPad and then to an iPhone. So you could see like this model of, you know, you change your view and then you can make changes um, to like inherited properties, Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. kind of like as they cascade down from from the top uh, media query or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So then like at the end of that, we posted it. There I think we did some stuff, right? Like we knew one guy that we knew from Intuit um, this guy named Tommy Leap, who's like the connect, like he knew a bunch of people. So he was like, all right. And he had a high, um, hacker news score. So he was like, all right, when you have this ready, just let me know. I'll, I'll find like one or two friends that can like help upload it. 
Um, and you know, they can probably help you get on the homepage or whatever. So that we plan for like, all right, we're going to launch on, I think it was like March 23rd. We're going to post it on Hacker News and then, you know, see what happens. Um, and after that, like we posted it in the morning and it just exploded. Like it was like 500 points at the end of the day. It was like number one all day. Uh, we completely didn't expect that kind of reaction from, programmers for the most part because it was like you know a design product mm -hmm. that was talking about like hey maybe we should write less code but the the reaction was like overwhelmingly positive so that gave us like a really big boost of confidence like we still didn't have any money so i just now but i, I had something to like take back to my wife and say mm -hmm. like hey it's working like people are super excited let's borrow more money from this credit card um she's like okay <laughs> so she so, trusts you that's yeah, a good thing yeah um <laughs> so so after after um, after that happened, like we were just juiced. Like that's when we reapplied to YC, like a couple, maybe a month or two later. Um, but now with a bunch of traction, like we had, you know, twenty thousand beta signups or something like that. Um, and that's a whole story in itself. Like we we got in, then didn't get in, and then got back in again. Um, that I can probably tell later. Uh, but like they, they called us and said, you're in. And then half an hour later, we got an email saying like, hey, you didn't get in because <laughs> so-and-so, which totally made sense, uh, which ended up being like a mix-up. Oh, like, uh, but for us, it was just a roller coaster. the biggest roller coaster. Yeah. Uh, oh, and then when we showed up the next uh, on Monday to register, Paul Graham's like, yeah, I don't see your name anywhere. <laughs> oh, my God. But you were in. Yeah, we were, we were definitely in. Um, or at least that's what they tell us. Uh, Good. But we, yeah. yeah. Wait, backing up to the Hacker News thing. Like yeah. Were people saying good things? Yeah, they were saying really great things. Like, uh, That's I not mean, what Hacker some, News is known for. Some yeah. People, yeah, some people were skeptical. Yeah, people mm -hmm. are really critical. Um, but they were skeptical in the right way. But, but I think overwhelmingly, even even the skepticism was minimal compared to the positivity uh, in that thread. Um, because I think the... Do you have the URL just like saved somewhere for like going back and like... Oh yeah, it's still there. You can go to playground.webflow.com. Yeah. It's just broken now yeah, because like a oh, lot I'm, of the layout. I meant like the thread from Hacker News. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the, uh, yeah. the the Dropbox one is the super famous one, oh, right? So unfortunately ours is too positive to be famous. Yeah. Uh, like we can't too say much oh, Hacker News like poo-pooed on, yeah, yeah. on our product. Yeah. Like, hey, it's just rsync plus yeah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I could easily spin this up on my Linux machine yeah, exactly. in two days. Exactly. <laughs> If you have uh, a Linux machine, this is super easy. It was actually yeah. funny for people that know know the thread we're talking about. Uh, when Dropbox first posted on Hacker News, some guy wrote this comment. It was like, Brandon M. Mm -hmm. And anyways, so when Dropbox IPO'd last month, someone shared that that yeah. screenshot of his message and Brandon M. came in and replied. Yeah, I saw and he was that. Like, I saw that. Yeah, I've learned a lot since then. <laughs> <laughs> I was really immature. <laughs> Sorry. That's funny. <laughs> and devastatingly wrong. Brandon M. Well, now he's famous. So. Now he's famous yeah. for classic Brandon M. for his yeah. comment, and and then I think Drew Houston like replied to Brandon M. Yeah, probably, and and said like, "Hey, you actually gave us confidence, <laughs> or something like that." Yeah, <laughs> like you gave us something to uh, to, to, be, to prove wrong. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. So okay. yeah, so then then we um, you know went through YC, which is like a really tough. Like it was morning to night, like just trying to get. It's three uh, months of just like cranking and they yeah. give you some money. They give you some. So, so that was, that was awesome because they give you like close to at that point. Cause it's, they give you it's like 20K. Now. Yeah. They give you 20K, but then the four other investors collectively give you another 80K. Yeah. Um, so, so that really helped. Like we actually started getting like a, a you know, we had to give ourselves like a minimum wage salary, mm -hmm. um, but, but it was something. At, at this point, like, 
Okay, you, you've gotten some confidence now, mm-hmm. but at this point you've been cranking for six, seven, eight months. Were you just fucking tired? <laughs> were you tired? And then you get money, you're like, all right, we're in, but now it means three more months of nonstop proving this Honestly, idea. Like, I don't remember being tired. I don't remember being tired. Like, I, I remember being like maybe physically exhausted, but mm-hmm. like... um. And, the, and there were some low points, you know, the first time we got rejected uh, that that felt like, you know, maybe maybe this is a signal that we shouldn't be working on this. But that was super temporary. Like, we're like, no, we know. We know that this mm-hmm. has to exist. Like, there's there's got to be a better way to do the, this kind of work. So maybe maybe I'm just thinking about it kind of in, like, with a bit of hindsight. Yeah, sure. Um, but I remember even with, like, the financial ups and downs, I always thought, like, fine, I'll have to, like, sell another car or, like try to make some uh, a bunch of money in my next job if this doesn't work out. That's not a sacrifice a lot of people want to make. Yeah, I also don't make like great financial decisions mm. all the time. <laughs> like, like we And that's the financial equivalent of throwing asbestos into a fire. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> like, like, okay, so here's an here's an example when we got um just as my wife and I got married, like you know, I started Googling around like places to go um, for for our honeymoon. And there's like prudent places like, okay, Hawaii, maybe. Um, we went to Bora Bora on, <laughs> on like 100% on credit cards. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like without a, di- without a discussion, it was like, all right, fine. Like they have these things that, you know, a hotel is like over water. How cool is that? Like we'll find a way to pay it and back. And we're paying like, for it in the future. And, yeah, and it took forever. And the same thing with my art school, like uh, student loans. Like it took me, a, I think I, I paid everything off nine months ago just because like art school was crazy expensive and I just borrowed every penny. Uh, I wasn't really thinking like, oh, yeah. what's the what's the actual, I mean, I'm smarter now. Like we budget. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I hope you're smarter. Yeah. Um, YNAB, what? by the way, YNAB.com. Amazing. You need to budget.com? Yeah. Mm. Amazing. Works. One thing that I found, so we've been working on Spectrum for a year mm-hmm. and, and some change. And what I found is the highs are really, really high mm-hmm. and the lows are pretty low, even mm-hmm. if short-lived. Right. Um, and I find that the fluctuating between those is really taxing for me. Yep. Um, how was that for you during during the early days? Like this rejection from YC, even though short-lived, mm-hmm. it's a devastatingly low, low. Yeah, for sure. All the way to to the Hacker News submission. And it's like, you're riding the highest high. Right. Is that a problem for you or honestly the the lows that were lower for me was being away from uh my wife and kids mm. most of the and and seeing like the impact on them because it sort of became like a um like the story was that I cared more about the startup than my family. Um and that was like really really taxing um because I knew that was true like i knew like if you look at it objectively like the amount of time i was spending on the startup uh like you could definitely come to that conclusion uh but then i also felt like hey if i um if we stop now then this whole thing crumbles like everything that we put in in terms of like time money sacrifice uh it would just like be a huge regret of like going down this road thankfully it didn't last longer than a year and my wife was like really um patient through through that process but i think that was the thing that like almost on a daily basis like it it made it hard to fall asleep at night because i would come home after the kids were already in bed except for sundays and and thinking like you know why the hell am i spending my time this way if this whole thing is not going to work out did Um, did you have a strategy for dealing with the lows or 
just time pushed you forward? It helped. I think it helped a lot. The fact that I was spending pretty much every hour of this with my brother, mm-hmm. um, and for us, it was like it was sort of like a shared um, a shared burden. That was we never really had like this, you know, kind of full house type of you know sibling and parent relationship. Like, hey, let's talk about our our feelings or like what's harder or whatever. Wacky the f- uncle living on the it, IKEA mattress in the living room. Sergi yeah. the wacky uncle is a very good character, I think. <laughs> Uh, but I think I think the fact that we were both kind of struggling with, you know, he he felt like with his fiance he wasn't um, putting in the time, and then I felt with with my family like they they didn't get to see me as much as um, they wanted to or I wanted to, and like all these disappointments, like new competitor launches, like there's this like Easel launch while we were building, and then Diffshot, and they they all look like. Like Easel was already in YC, and we're like, "Holy crap! Okay, now YC is not going to fund any other companies um, that are like this." Uh, and then Diffshot launched, and they look like super polished and like it was built on Bootstrap or whatever. And I honestly don't remember the strategies. It's just like just keep keep working. Like yeah. we had this. It was almost a routine. Like we literally ate the same thing every day. We um, there's like this place called Rogers Deli. Like we'd get the same sandwiches made, and then for dinner, this is mostly to save money. And then for dinner, we went to this place called Una Mas, which you can get for nine bucks a fajita plate that came with two tortillas and enough chicken to make two burritos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like I, I think like the monotony of that and the kind of like this game plan we put together of like what we uh, had to finish, um, like always felt like we were um, behind enough that it didn't give us time to like. Uh, think too much about the lows, and then when when the whole YC thing happened, I think like the hope in the future, well, like kind of for better or worse, so it kind of seemed okay. Now we got into YC, everything's going to be easy from now, which is by the way not even remotely close. But having some of that false confidence probably helped mm-hmm. uh, where where we thought it was all gonna all gonna work out. Now I, you know, you're you're in the future. Hindsight's mm-hmm. twenty twenty. Everyone acknowledges that startups are hard, mm-hmm. but lately more and more people are talking about like how can we encourage people to build startups in a more healthy, balanced way, right? And basically not do what you did. Yeah. So knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and and, and tell yourself like this will be worth it, or this is not, I don't know. It's hard because you yeah. you are where you are now, but right, right, right. Like, would you encourage other people to go through that same this like? years mm-hmm. of like eating I, the same thing every day it wasn't years it was, a, it was nine months nine but, months of calorie to dollar efficiency and like right right i honestly that. i honestly don't think like and this is the probably the wrong thing to say just how much i care about our like my own companies you know work-life balance and you know not burning out um and all that stuff um but i honestly don't know if we would just have enough hours in the day to build the things that we built in order to show that it was a you know a concept that might work enough to to get the the traction that we got to get into IC. So I I honestly don't like I think if we were working you know nine to five or anything remotely like that um, you know Monday through Friday I just don't think that the hours were there or maybe we weren't smart enough to like because uh, we we would literally. It wasn't one of those things where you're kind of like, you know, half of your um, days in flow state or whatever. Like we were in, like I I could say when I was, I would talk to Sergi like three or four times a day, right? He was in flow state in Illustrator. I was in like in flow state in Sublime or whatever and just cranking uh, the entire time. 
I think the the fact that um, we knew what we had to build and we're like really excited by like how it's coming together, you know, kept, kept us going. But I think if we're doing that, um, you know, f- whatever, 40% less time per day, I just don't think we would have had the, t- the time to put together something even remotely as compelling. Um, so in some places, it's just like, as much as I hate to say it, like there, there are seasons uh, which it might make sense to to work like in terms of hours, like crazy hard, as long as it's a season, as long as it's not, um, as long as it's recognized as like temporary. It's not, yeah, it's not sustainable for sure. What about when skipping a little bit ahead? Mm-hmm. At some point, you hired people. Yes. Um, and yeah. what was that transition like, or or? Uh, what was it like building out a culture as you're bringing on new people mm-hmm. where, where you and Sergi had this like crazy lack of work, work-life right, balance right, right. and then you bring people on? Like how did that <laughs> transfer or, or did you set up systems to hopefully maybe block that off and, and let yeah. new team members I, I would say it's, it wasn't an um, immediate transition. So uh, before we got into YC, like our third co-founder, Brian, joined. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of um, also bailed us out a bit financially like he uh he put a little bit of money in um to just give us a, a few months of runway but he he had joined like before he saw like what what like the response was this is um kind of like right maybe a few weeks before we posted to hacker news but the three of us then went crazy hard because uh, we needed to get get ready for for yc and then there's a uh like so much stuff we had to build through YC. We we wanted to um, we wanted to launch Webflow with the CMS. Like we thought nobody would pay for it without the CMS. Uh, YC convinced us like, hey, just like launch what you have, do it sooner, charge for it. We're super uncomfortable with it, and we didn't actually build everything we wanted to launch with until two years later, until uh, late 2015 when we launched our CMS. So the three of us had worked like crazy hard through. Um, through August or September and then we had a pretty tough time raising money just because the same thing I mentioned you know like why aren't you guys working at mobile and you know there's a ton of competitors like Wix and Weebly and Squarespace not really understanding like the space we're, we're playing mm-hmm. in um, and the fact that it's web-based is sort of um, kind of a, a, a non-starter but then I think when we uh, hired our first employee this was Dan uh, the fact that he was remote probably helped kind of establish a early sort of um, culture of like, hey, we don't need to see that it's, you know, you have like your butt in a seat, for yep. example. Uh, you're just putting in the work, like we're getting um, getting shit done. And then from from there, like our, our first our first customer support person was actually in Finland, then our first designer was in, in Moscow. Um, and I think that sort of, um, that gave some time to adjust to like, we we're still going pretty fast, but you know, we were, we weren't doing any all-nighters. We weren't um, working weekends. We just kind of got to a pretty good, um, pretty good, pretty good clip. Like maybe th- almost, probably almost immediately after we raised money. That's when that's when there was like a um, kind of a sigh of relief of like, hey, we're we're not gonna like we yeah. can actually afford health insurance now. It like transitions to becoming a marathon. Yeah, exactly. You got a little bit exactly. of pacing to do. And then we I think what what really reset it was uh, that same uh, like shortly after we um uh, we raised money, we just went on a retreat with our families. Um and that's where everybody just like sighed a sigh of relief of like, hey, okay. 
now now we have to kind of like make this thing last but it was just it was just great to like not focus on work for a while like we went to tahoe and played in the snow and went snowboarding and all that that kind of thing stayed in the same house um and and after that there has been like a um a very strong focus on not burning out, like focusing. Cause we've had for the most part, people have only left Webflow to like start other companies. That's great. Now what, like two YC alumni in, uh, plus like a, a business that makes more than Webflow based on Webflow. Uh, it's like luxury car company in Las Vegas. That's great. Um, so, you know, we, we recognize that it's, uh, it's it's all in the long haul. Like if if people are super excited about the mission that we're working on, um, squeezing out like every bit of productivity now, it like serves absolutely no purpose um, other than to kind of make people just potentially, you know, like leave for the wrong reasons. Right. So I, you mentioned that fundraising was difficult. Mm-hmm. How did you guys raise at demo day? Did you guys raise? We did not raise a demo anything day afterwards. We, we had. We had one uh, what's called like a handshake deal on mm-hmm. Demo Day, um, which got us 50K, which was kind of like, uh, but it came as a, like a previous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, um, it took us a, a few, it took us a few weeks to, uh, like after Demo Day, we, we talked to a bunch of investors um, and most of them were kind of like, yeah, let's, you know, you know how investors say, we'll stay in touch, or yeah, yeah, they say no, but they don't mm-hmm. really say no. Um, so I, I ended up like developing. I would, I don't know what other word uh, for it. There's like just severe anxiety. Yep. Um, for those, I think it was the four weeks after that, where you know we had a bunch of a bunch more investor meetings. Mm-hmm. But I would wake up in the morning with like my heart racing. Um, I didn't want to go to those meetings at all. And then at some point, we had. Uh, like we got another investor, Tim Draper, who put in another 200K or something like that. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we we're like sort of divided by three. So 200 plus 50, divide that by three. Hey, we can actually like pay for ourselves, for yep. our salaries for a year and for like a tiny office or something like that. And only when we started telling all these investors like, hey, we're not raising anymore. Like we have enough. And uh, like Paul Graham told us to do this. Saying He's you're like, subscribed is like- Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Saying like, okay, we're, we're done. A bunch of these investors came back and like, oh, hey, we're just kidding. Like, uh, um, that's you know. the worst. Yeah, Fuck. it is the worst. God. It's the worst. Well, a lot of investors want to like hear that enough other people liked yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But, but that's some of the work for them. It's really, yeah. That's sort of. That's, mm. It's the most annoying question that uh, investors ask. They're like, who they else is a- in? Yeah, exactly. They don't <laughs> ask you about your like business first. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. who else is interested? Mm-hmm. You know, they kind of look for for validation. I saw a tweet today. Uh, there's uh, Ryan Caldbeck mm-hmm. um, tweeted about like there's just a bunch of charts of like investor. Oh, stuff. interesting. And the x-axis was like number of times they ask about who else is invested uh-huh. versus like quality of VC, and it's like <laughs> slants down directly. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so the less they ask you that, the better VC they are. Yes, that makes sense to me. Um, so anyway, that um, that got us kind of like a little bit over the million dollar mark. Uh, This was two months after, or a month and a half after demo day. We had a lot of, um, quite a few 
startups in our batch that raised before demo day or yep. on demo day like yep. they were like all right we just raised three million dollars from like jamie lee curtis and um and joe montana and we've got the yogurt <laughs> fortune here <laughs> yeah. yeah um so and and like all these top top tier vcs or whatever so we felt completely um you know nobody wanted nobody wanted to give us the light of day but eventually we we cobbled together enough that it was you know we we're confident to to keep building mm-hmm. yeah it's not, it's probably, I think that, that time was way more stressful than when we were like out of money, uh, pre, you know, like when, um, our daughter had like the surgery yep. and, and all that stuff. Like for some reason that didn't, uh, I was more calm through those times than, um, having to wake up every morning, like thinking through the, like the four meetings that I had that day. So once you got to having some money, mm-hmm. did you end up having to like pay yourself back or any of we that did, stuff? Yeah, we did. Um, we had these kind of promissory notes essentially. Yeah. So the money that we put into um, the company, like the 15K that I mentioned, yeah. plus the money that I borrowed, um, we started paying ourselves back slowly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't like all at once because, yeah. you know, cash we, flow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so over time, that, that came back into um, like things that, that didn't cover was like all the medical stuff, mm-hmm. all the all the things I had to borrow personally to keep the family afloat because there's yep. like no no income during that time. Um, but everything that was put into the company, it was technically payback. Got it. Which I, is I, awesome. It was like, it's yeah. like hey, that, that's income. good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hear it's very common for like after you raise seed or something yeah. like that, like if you burned like almost a year of like yeah. not taking a paycheck, just, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we felt comfortable like paying ourselves mm-hmm. for back pay um yeah. just because we didn't have enough in our round yeah where that would last enough time um and we just didn't think investors would be cool with it but mm. um i think over time we sort of like started raising our salary a little bit more a little bit more um to where you know we weren't like digging a hole yeah the this must be a really common question you get but i just want to touch on it briefly like Co-founding oh, with your, your brother. It, why did you open source all your code? <laughs> <laughs> Just no. kidding. It's uh, why did you start it with your brother? Uh, slash like uh, that defies conventional wisdom of right. not co-founding with close friends and family. How's that going? And um, have you guys had struggles there with it being a family and a business relationship? Not at all, honestly. Like, I think we is that lucky we, or strategy. I think it's I think it's lucky. Okay. Um, it's just because I when I was growing up, Sergi and I weren't really all that close. Like, we are two other siblings apart. So he's kind of I'm part of the um, there's my older brother, then me, then two sisters, and then two two other brothers. And Sergi's like second to last. Um, so he was always kind of like the annoying little brother or whatever. Um, so we didn't spend a lot of time together, but when we, uh, in that kind of 2005 to 2012 period, he was the only good designer I knew, honestly. Like, so when, when it came to like working on these websites, he was the, um, the person I was collaborating with. And we had like a great collaboration where, you know, we would kind of like, um, feel free to give each other feedback on like designs or like, you know, some interaction that wasn't working or, um, so it was a pretty natural, like not only was it kind of the only person I knew to reach out to that was a good designer, uh, at the time, um, that wasn't committed to something else, but we never really had like a bad or good relationship before that. It was just sort of like, I, I would say almost transactional, um, before that. So it's been because we have a third co-founder, Brian, um, it's been great in that we're, we're almost like at work, we're almost like 
founders first and brothers second. Um, so like Brian, Sergi, and I are kind of like on equal footing where, mm-hmm. you know, Sergi and I don't have like some, you know, side uh, sideboard or something where we, <laughs> we make uh, decisions or whatever. It's like the three of us that's kind of like the... Uh, the, the people who um, run the company. And we sort of like divide the company into like almost three areas of responsibility. Like um, Sergi runs product, Bryant runs uh, growth and the backend team. And I kind of like do operations and the front end team. So it's it's kind of worked out really well. We're like equal equal partners. Sure, and, sure. I mean, and yeah, we go to like Thanksgiving dinners in Sacramento once a year Brian or whatever. comes to my Thanksgiving dinners yeah, exactly. too. See, yeah, exactly. So it's basically the same. Basically the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. And do you do you do daily back massages like to relieve the stress? Uh, there was great a point where we kind of did <laughs> bi daily, semi daily. Okay, okay. So you're getting twice there. daily, you're twice daily. <laughs> yeah. yeah, morning and afternoon. What well, actually follow up question? Do you uh, eat the same fajita uh, two days in order? Yeah, <laughs> Ryan eats the same oatmeal every day. Really? Mm. Hmm. I've got my routine. Yeah. Is it steel cut oats? Nah, it's quick oats, but... Uh, I bought still cut oats by mistake one time, and that was very funny. Yeah, fuck those. Um, <laughs> You're so upset about that. <laughs> no, I, I love my routine. Uh, yeah, routines are awesome. I know the exact ratio of, mm-hmm. of water to, to oats. As I well learned as how the, to make oatmeal, ex- is what he just said. No, no, no. <laughs> I, no, but I've got my ratio. Like, gotcha. it's the perfect consistency. And gotcha. the amount puts of, in bananas, which hot bananas are the worst banana, smell on earth. blueberry... I've cut out strawberries. I've become less of a strawberry fan over time. Dude, um, that's bananas. And brown sugar. <laughs> okay, let's get back to business. Yeah. Um, let's fast We still forward. have a container of brown sugar here that just says Brian's sugar. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> you can just call sugar. it Brian because it's sweet. Uh, I, <laughs> you, you raised money. You, uh-huh. you built the team. Yep. Let's get a little bit further um, okay. ahead. Uh, so you got through the fundraising. Mm-hmm. And and now you're launching features and you're growing yeah, the yeah. team and 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 on and on. What's what's the biggest stressful stuff going on right now as far as, um, I mean, being being a founder, definitely uh, running this thing. Uh, like figuring out how to scale the team. You know, like team dynamics when you go from five to ten um, is a pretty big shift, but not as big as ten to twenty, and not as big as twenty to forty, not as big as um, like we're currently at around seventy, uh, where there's like this, you know, it gets it gets harder to, um, you know, get shared vision or disseminate kind of um, information, um, and then you learn kind of how to how to do that properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you start doing things like all hands, and you start um, kind of having team retreats. And um, but the I think the biggest thing that is always top of mind is like how do we keep growing um, as a as a business because that's the thing that. Um, can have just foundationally negative effects if you start to slow down or you know go negative or whatever, because then that's a reflection um, to kind of like how valuable the product is potentially, mm-hmm. or uh, to to members who are on the team. It might be kind of like uh, the trajectory of what this could become in the future. Like, can it be a billion dollar company or whatever if it's starting to slow down? Um, so. It's it's definitely like mixed between you know how do we choose the right things to work on because it takes a long time to work on these things um, and and if you make the wrong decision of like okay we're going to work on feature X and it's going to take six months um, that means there's an opportunity cost to not working on feature Y uh, or you know growth idea 
uh, Z or whatever. Um, so that's kind of the the biggest thing that's top of mind right now is like how do we um, how do we build the right tools for um, you know the right audience and and kind of get a stronger product market fit and which is where right now there's like all this um, you know we kind of have like okay product market fit for like the web design industry but now there's all this talk about um, you know design and development merging um, you know for the purposes of like working on products and mm-hmm. um, you have all these tools that are coming out that are uh, you know, compo- component oriented, and we have like, you know, how do you go from React to Sketch, and from Sketch to React, and from Figma to, um, you know, Ember or whatever. Uh, so there's like this this space is kind of heating up to where you're constantly thinking like, okay, so what should be the priority? Like, is the priority ninety five percent of your customers asking like, hey, we need e commerce, or ninety percent of your engineers saying like, hey, it could be easier to build Webflow. Uh, if Webflow had tools to like build with components or something mm-hmm. like that, do you have a framework or or set of principles that mm-hmm. tells you how to prioritize those both incredibly compelling <laughs> and interesting and fun uh, and possibly both being successful? How do you decide? I, I wish there was a a framework. It's it's sort of so we have this like long term thirty year vision, right? To um, enable more people, like millions if not tens of millions more people to create software without having to write code, uh, which is right now, like fundamentally, software creation is such a tiny part, like such a tiny part of the world's population has access to that power. Um, I think the statistics are somewhere between 0.25 to 0.5% of the world has that skill of um, being able to read or write code, uh, which is like, you know, if you had 400 people in a room, that's one person. Right, maybe in Silicon Valley, that that statistic is wildly different because mm-hmm. like everybody knows how to code. Um, At least CSS, right? <laughs> exactly. Pro- is is pro- that code programming though? CSS? Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. You better hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ben, maybe not. But right, right, right. right, right. <laughs> um, so, where was I? Yeah. So we have like this this long term vision of like how do you move towards a world where you can actually create software declaratively uh, in a more human um, type of language that that many more people can um, take advantage of. So think of like Excel mm-hmm. compared to C, right? Mm-hmm. A lot more people can use Excel and, and use computing power that way. But uh, it's e- roughly the same complexity. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Functions take the same learning. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of resources too. Like you yeah. can like go copy, you don't have to like learn how to set up an environment and mm-hmm. like compile anything, et cetera. So we have like this sort of North Star that we're shooting for. Uh, like how do we uh, create this new category of um, like knowledge workers almost uh, that we call visual developers? How do you like instill these core fundamental principles um, of uh, like interaction design and, and UI design and like content architecture and like content modeling, like mm-hmm. all the things that you might think about as like a GraphQL developer or like a backend developer. Like we're trying to find um, like more abstracted, higher level ways to present that to um, uh, non, non-programmers. Yeah. Uh, so that's always kind of like, that's the big ocean of opportunity. That's what we're shooting for. Uh, but as we're like, right now we're kind of like in this, you know, small sea of like web design software, right? Mm-hmm. And then like after that, there's like, 
you know, a bigger, like the Mediterranean Sea, right? Like, so, so we can see that, um, wait, which sea is web design? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's the call Black it like the, the Adriatic. Eh, the dead sea. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's call it a lake. Okay. So, <laughs> so web design is a lake, uh, lake but Michigan. Still, in, even by itself, like look at WordPress, WordPress powers, like 30 plus percent of the internet. That's pretty much web design. Um, so, so there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, not necessarily to replace WordPress, but to empower a lot more people to, um, to have that kind of uh, the ability to create for the web. Uh, and then you kind of get into like more complex type of applications and then, um, you know, like full on, like you'll be able to create software businesses mm-hmm. uh, with like individual designers who can imagine them and and get them to production. Uh, so that's sort of like if it aligns with that, like if it helps us get to that vision mm-hmm. somehow faster, then that is more likely that we're going to be working on it. Well, um, once you start pulling away the technical aspects, you kind of start pulling away much of, I think, like people don't have to be designers to do it, right? People can the, just be people and have some sure. base level yeah, access correct. to things that help you make the decisions. Correct. So, yeah, think think of it this way. Designers as they are now. I right, 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 right. Because I think in the future, um, hopefully in the near future, uh, a lot more people will be able to build with, um, like developers will be there to create sort of like these lowest level building blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, designers will be there to create design systems. Like they'll think through mm-hmm. like a lot of, you know, well, like how, what all the different components are, what they're named, how, like what properties the they end take. product of design systems as a trend is commoditization though, right? Like eventually these elements become commoditized much in the same but, way like bootstrap is a design system. Potentially. I, I still think though for a lot of uh, kind of like business use cases, you'll never be able to get away without uh, a human there creating something like custom for a specific um, problem domain. Hmm. So I, I don't believe that, you know, we're going to, get rid of programmers, for example, the same way that, you know, we, we probably got rid of a lot of uh, the need for a lot of people to know how to like rack a hard drive, um, you know, like know how to set up RAID or whatever, because AWS has essentially like centralized that into mm-hmm. just a few thousand engineers that work at AWS and you just like utilize that computing power. But that created a whole set of other kind of um, problems around scaling and, you know, DevOps and blah, 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 that requires those same, um, actually, and sometimes requires more people um, to um, now take advantage of that power to do more, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like they're doing the same thing. They're actually doing a lot more with their businesses, right. serving a lot more users, um, et cetera. WhatsApp getting to like a billion users exactly. with 20 employees or 50 whatever. Engineers. 50 engineers, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, so you recently wrote a blog post. Mm-hmm. Um, Frank Camaro wrote a blog post called Everything Easy is Hard Again or yep. something. And you wrote Everything Hard is Easy Again. Uh, no, I said everything... Everything hard can be easy. Can be easy. Yeah, it can uh, be easy again. But you had you had one little really hedge in there, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> might be possibly in the future. Yeah, right. uh, you had one second that said it's going to get worse before it gets better. Could you yeah. expand on that? Because f- from from my perspective, the as like sitting in between mm-hmm. these two things, like designing and developing, uh, the number of tools and technologies and shiny mm-hmm. things coming out mm-hmm. is um, both incredibly exciting and incredibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annoying. Exhausting, yeah. <laughs> in the sense that I'm constantly doubting, like, right? Did you make the right what, call? Or? Yeah. Do we make the right call? Is this thing going to be around mm-hmm. for the long haul? Like, right. are we setting ourselves up for long term success? Is this one going to get better faster than the one I chose, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This and and not only does that like cognitive load exist, but then it it um, I think it seeps into the day to day work of just like yeah, I the ability to try new things is 
pretty fast and easy. Like it's right. really easy to implement new things, mm-hmm. but it's complicating the the big picture right. like architecture of how we want to build products. Mm-hmm. Like you can pull in any little thing. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's a um, that specifically. So imagine somebody starting out in web design in 1999, right? They literally, I, I, I went through this journey. Um, you pick up one book on all the HTML tags that there are, Blink included and Marquee included. The good uh, ones. Yeah, exactly. Um, may they rest in peace. Uh, I don't know if they still work. Do they work? I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to test that the other day. Yeah, interesting. I believe um, they do not for what it's worth. <laughs> you're probably right. Um, I bet some nerdy ass engineer at yeah. like Mozilla and Chrome is doing nights and weekends to support them. But you, still. you open up those GeoCity sites and they still work. Yeah, like they, they don't have JavaScript yeah, probably. They, they gotta have some yeah. yeah. Anyway, like so so learning that technology at the time was pretty straightforward. Like it was new, but there was one thing to learn. Um, and there was almost like a, a magical time in the kind of mid 2000s when Ruby on Rails came out, which was also, um, even though it was a new tool, it actually, it brought down the complexity of like what you need to learn in order to build like a, a web app to down to a degree that like a lot more people can understand without being programmers ahead of time. And the fact that it was like on Rails, the on Rails part is that like it was very opinionated, right? That it didn't give you too much choice. So people focused on like so many companies were created back then. Like GitHub was mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. experimental um project built on top of Ruby on Rails, like uh, Airbnb, like all these, all so many things were built with uh, Ruby on Rails. And, and it helped focus on not the underlying stack or technology, but on just building something, right? And having the tools to do it. And now in the last four or five years, the explosion in um, like these types of tools is just like, it's great from from the perspective of somebody who's who's been doing this for 15 years because you know which tool to pick and choose from. You know the delta between you know React and Vue potentially because you really understand React and you understand React because you understood jQuery. You understood uh, or you understood Backbone because you were around like during all these transition steps. But somebody starting out fresh, they're just like, holy what the fuck? crap! This is like a paradox of choice. Like I great, I have all these choices and all these developers are telling me it's it's all becoming easier because all these tools like you know, are there to make our lives easier, but like, holy shit, I don't know where to start. Like, I don't even know um, how to, you know, get a little environment going. Um, Whereas before it was just, you know, you write this file, you FTP it and it just works. So I think the, the getting worse part is that most developers still think that that's a, that you can always create more tools to be more flexible. Um, And we're still in this sort of uh, like part of the curve where, uh, we're creating exponentially more tools than there's consolidation. And and that's a good thing because like, you know, you innovate more in, in various directions and like you get to explore more ideas. But I think at some point um, there's going to be a benefit to like settling on something. Standardization. Right? St- exactly, standardization. Standardization is, you can see it at a micro level that it's helpful. Like for example, at Webflow, having like five different ways to build React components is actually... Uh, slows things down mm-hmm. more than having one way that maybe two or three people don't like the style of mm-hmm. or something like that. You just move faster because like it's easier to create documentation. It's easier to like for understand people understand what it is. Exactly. Like reason about very exactly. Quickly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's going to get and and the same sort of thing like happened in other industries like. Um, 
in, in print design, for example, uh, PostScript used to be like a big thing. Like you would write PostScript to signal to the printer how to do a specific thing like a gradient or whatever like you had to have technical people mm-hmm. involved there and you know people at cookbooks and frameworks and like different ways uh, that worked for like this Heidelberg printer this other printer like the CMYK profiles these like other types of um, printers and and it all felt really important like the, the the flexibility of that felt really important but today we have one standard essentially like stuff in InDesign or other tools that compiles down to PDF mm-hmm. and and this centralized kind of um, uh, like shared knowledge of all these other uh, kind of this abstraction of how printers work or whatever just lets print designers do their freaking work like but now we have so much more creativity so much more um productivity in print design because people don't think about that translation. They just, you know, they, they have a vision for what their, you know, um, printed thing is going to like, you know, what emotion, what stories are going to tell, what emotions are going to, um, like, what's the theme of like this year's, Mm -hmm. you know, like magazine covers or whatever. Uh, and then you just focus directly on, um, like the creative part. And I think software is going to get to that place as well, where we're going to like get past some of these compilation concerns where we're arguing about like, oh, is Ember better than Angular or than React than Vue or whatever. Um, I fundamentally believe that if we don't move past that, like, really like minute low level uh, these kinds of uh, tooling decisions then we're just going to have less creativity it's like you and uh, not caring about logic gates <laughs> like, exactly once you move above that and start yeah. abstracting that away exactly then exactly like um, or I, AWS and racking exactly like I, I think but that takes time mm-hmm. so there's this uh, um, this talk that Brett Victor gave called the future of programming and every time there's a fundamental shift in how we think of like machine code to assembly assembly to C C to managed uh like managed memory C++, that to Java, that to like, uh, you know, um, even when iOS development jumped from like managing your own memory to To automatic memory management, people were like, no, you can't, like this isn't as flexible. It's not going to be as fast or whatever. There's always um, friction and hesitation by people who know how to do a certain thing to consider something, um, uh, some some new higher level uh, abstraction. But over time, abstractions win. Mm -hmm. Like they, they just... Because they fundamentally make people's lives easier, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, over time they actually catch up to having the same kind of flexibility, if not more. Because the, the if you look at a lot of the assembly language that's generated today, a lot of people used to argue like the only way you can have performant programs is to write assembly by hand and optimize for whatever you know instruction set that 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 backs. Welcome Go- to WebAssembly. Exactly. What up? <laughs> <laughs> but nobody's going to be writing WebAssembly yeah. by hand, right? Like we have computers to do mm-hmm. that now, um, and I think we're we're going to get to that. Um, to that point, uh, at some point with software where, um, you know, people aren't going to like care as much around like handcrafting their components, yeah. as long as those components, uh, and the way the software behaves is exactly how the, the, the people creating that software want it to behave. Um, but then that comes back to like browsers and a whole bunch of other stuff right now, right? Like everyone has to support it the same way, which is yeah. already a problem with HTML yeah. and CSS being pretty miserable. Yeah. I, I mean, compared to 10 years ago, it's a lot better. There, I don't have to write IE6 hacks anymore, which is great. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, but it's also like, for example, um, you know, at Webflow, we we deal with so many browser in, uh, incompatibilities at the engine level. So we will find out something like, let's say Firefox had this, uh, sorry, um, Safari had this Flexbox bug where if you happen to use a specific CSS property that has a height of zero, like your flex, uh, flex basis is totally ignored. Mm-hmm. Um 
only we have to know about that and solve it centrally. And then anybody who publishes a website in Webflow, just we just hack around it. Right? And the like, default flex property is supposed to be like one zero auto, and it defaults to like one one auto, so it can shrink ex- all the way down. Yeah. yeah. So so you can you can I mean that's what compilers do. Compilers like. Uh, you write some C C code. It knows that on this machine, like this instruction set, isn't available. So do something a little bit different on this one. Uh, something is available. Like we're we're probably not going to get to that level of like exactness with with browsers. Um, like there's still going to be like something that renders a little bit differently on Firefox or whatever. Mm-hmm. But for for most intents and purposes, it doesn't really matter. Um, so we'll yeah. I I think I think we have to get to a place where a lot more people have to have this power of building software and the way like this ex- this kind of anxiety that um, newcomers are faced with is exactly why we're not actually seeing any change in the percentage of people who are coding worldwide like we have all these like learn how to code we have code academy we have you know egghead and all these resources to learn how to code but if you look at it as a function of the world's population it's staying flat um, so there's no, um, there's uh, sure more people have like code literacy, like they can understand kind of more about like an if statement or like kind of how CSS works. Um, but at the end of the day, they can't do something that produces an end product mm-hmm. with it by themselves. Um, and I think that's something it's, it's almost like being in the world of like where only scribes can write books 400 years ago mm-hmm. or whatever, 800 mm-hmm. years ago, uh, before there was like a shift towards, uh, like general literacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the way to do that is not necessarily to teach everybody to write code, but find like these higher level abstractions um, that help people solve the same problems, um, but in a more like on rails kind of way, um, where you you give people the the tools to express what they want, like mm-hmm. the software that they like, want to build. They want to solve a problem, ultimately, exactly. Right? They exactly. shouldn't just like want to learn code because that's not a exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing, like. Almost everybody I know who fell in love with programming fell in love not with the act of programming, like, hey, this is really amazing writing code. They fell in love with the with the fact that they made something, they got it out into the world, it like people used it mm-hmm. or like um, it solved some real problem. It made somebody's life easier. Yep. That's the amazing part. It doesn't really matter. Like the fact that Chatterfox was like one massive file, mm-hmm. like I got no satisfaction from, from like w- reflecting back on the the amazingness of that code. You really I got took mono repo to an extreme <laughs> there, but exactly. Our I new wasn't monofile uh, app format. <laughs> you know, I wasn't even using source control. <laughs> Jesus it Christ! Was, uh, I was a rebel. <laughs> uh, I think I had like different folders of yeah, like yeah. V1. <laughs> like I, I think copy I, and paste exactly. Yeah, you yeah. know, like those Word documents, uh, or when you have like a final final V2 yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I probably had that with my ASPX files. Well, one of the things with. Um, I guess what you're working on in particular, I'm curious to hear how you think about it, is you're dealing with the web as it is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're building tools for for people who build on the web. Uh, the web is incredibly fractured mm-hmm. in terms of browsers, which is getting better over time, but also now devices and network speeds right. and uh, hardware capabilities. So you're, you're dealing with all sorts of mm-hmm. complexity there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world is also moving towards new ways of creating and thinking about apps, uh, new types of inputs, uh, Mm -hmm. motion, VR, AR, Mm -hmm. audio, on and on. Uh, There's new sort of paradigms, in my opinion, GraphQL would be one about thinking about uh, the relationship between uh, uh, like 
abstracting away backend right, right. data model to like mm-hmm. a more descriptive way of talking about what what an interface needs. Like there's all these interesting things happening. Mm-hmm. How do you keep up? And how do you deal with the problems of today while also trying to anticipate right. where we're going to be? Mm-hmm. He doesn't fucking spam. One month, <laughs> one month from today, and, right. and one year from today, like also thinking about like web versus mobile versus sure. future ways people actually want to use and consume applications. Right. Um, so um, thankfully, the web is not moving at such a breakneck speed that it's impossible to to keep up. Sure. So um, you have like these. So Webflow supports pretty much everything that all browsers support, right? Like as soon as it lands in like Edge, and there's. Um, you know, like ninety plus support or whatever, we uh, we jump on it. Like right now, we're working on CSS grid support. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, uh, it's not supported in IE eleven yep. for the most part, uh, but it's going to make it in into the product. Uh, it's much easier for us centrally to keep up than for people in aggregate to keep up because. Right now, um, like with Flexbox, it took like four years for developers to catch up and learn Flexbox. And it's already fucking out of date. Exactly. Uh, And now it's going to, like now people are sort of burned from like, all right, I just learned Flexbox. Um, and now I have to learn CSS Grid or whatever. Now Grid is magic. <laughs> I know. Like, uh, yeah, like yeah. Flexbox was really hard to learn right. for a long time, and it still like uh-huh. didn't quite do what I wanted. And then I got to Grid, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is yeah. the best thing! No more just, stupid containers. Just wait until um, you use Grid visually. Like it just feels like a like it's the same exact semantics, but it just feels like you're using a Grid. I could see that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you're you're designing with a Grid on like mm-hmm. a you know magazine layout or whatever. Um, so. It's it's much easier for us to centrally keep up with it. Like for example, progress, progressive web apps. We mm-hmm. can build that foundational support into like every site published with Webflow with some like you know uh, controls where you specify you know how you want it to load and like low um, low bandwidth type of situations, etc. Um, same thing with the responsive images. We build it centrally. You don't have to learn like source set and sizes, uh, etc. And then over time, you have like these other inputs. So, so Webflow already has a ton of animation tools where you can say, you know, when my mouse is over like some part of the card, like rotate it a certain amount in 3D, and when you mouse it over to to another side, uh, like rotate it a yeah, different yeah. way, right? It's kind of like you know replaces some JavaScript. But then we can add, um, you know, as another input instead of mouse over, we say accelerometer, right? Because like if if there's an accelerometer. Uh, on your phone, then use that as an input instead of the mouse, right? Mm-hmm. So, so then a designer, all they have to know about is this new checkbox of like, uh, you know, re- use this event instead of this event. Um, they don't need to learn like, you know, how to write accelerometer, or like uh, event handling code, et cetera. They just see like this higher level abstraction. So I think, yes, it's hard to catch, uh, hard to like keep up with like all of these um, kind of like expansions in, in uh, what the technology can do. But for the most part, it's much easier to do for a centralized team than it is for everybody to learn in isolation. Sure. Uh, especially since, because Webflow is kind of like a, a horizontal platform, like you can take one designer, one person who used to be like a graphic designer or a print designer, uh, cares about creating like, you know, custom bespoke sort of solutions for the clients and do everything themselves. Like they don't have to get a developer for like the, the, the database part. And it allows us to uh, build in these technologies, like these bleeding edge things right into the product. So for example, if you build a CMS with Webflow, let's say I was building for a, um, I don't know, like the 
used car dealership down the street, right? That uh, car dealership, they have no interest in writing blog posts, but they want to list their inventory and their salespeople, right? So uh, you you can use Webflow to like visually describe the database. Yeah, you can yeah, say yeah. like a car has, you know, make, model, year, like these are the field types. And then a car has a salesperson mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and then you can like, build components, like visual components on top of that. And guess what? You've actually just created a GraphQL server. Mm-hmm. You've just built out React components. You just don't know you're doing it that are backed by the, um, like that are writing GraphQL queries for you. We can give you a GraphQL API endpoint that you can use yourself to like query the data. And you've done that without knowing like how to set all this stuff up yourself. So it's like these abstractions that help us kind of create this value across the board for everybody without everybody having to learn everything under the hood. Like something as simple as like CSS prefixes. Like the fact that you have to know that you have to install like post CSS with like and figure out which browsers uh, to like how to configure yeah. the thing is just like if you can take that burden away from everybody and just do it just kind of by default. components that shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, so speaking of... of- the, the latest and greatest. You mentioned grid support. You guys, uh, I, I saw you tweeting with James Faxley about uh, GraphQL. Yes. Um, which Are you stalking me? No. Yes, what? he is. Okay. I, <laughs> Have I, you not seen him? He's I, very tall. I open Twitter occasionally. Um, oh, okay, okay. Uh, What's the tool? You're what, the only person he follows. What ah, okay, uh, okay. tools, technologies are coming down the pipeline that you're most excited about? Uh, um, are so those we, them? So we GraphQL. have some big things coming for components. So right now in Webflow, components don't necessarily exist. You have to like think of a page, mm-hmm. uh, kind of an isolation. We have this thing called symbols, which are like components light that can't take uh, you know properties or overrides. Um, so one of the major projects we're working on right now is being able to, if you're familiar with atomic design, like essentially break down your entire um, website into a um, kind of a component oriented mm-hmm. um, design system. And that's, and that's s- all backed by React, GraphQL, this kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. And so in theory, so when can... there's data binding, GraphQL is involved. Uh, in theory, we can take these components and um, render them to anything like React or Ember right. or Angular and um, import them into like other code bases if, if needed. That's something that we're kind of uh, experimenting around. That's um, kind of an exciting thing. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm I'm super excited about that one. Like build marketing pages in, in Webflow with uh-huh. similar data backings as my, my app and uh-huh. share components between the two, but I don't want to like hand code the the marketing pages. Right, exactly. Nobody wants to hand code marketing pages. Yeah. Hey, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're weird. <laughs> I'm good at it. Shut up. Uh, but honestly, like when it comes to marketing pages, there's a, I used to build, I used to hand code marketing pages, but the things that Ryan can build now, and he's not a coder, uh, in yeah, Webflow, we know. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. How do you do it? He's doing cool shit. Yeah. So I think I think that's the Components. Uh, same thing happened with 3D animation software, right? Like it used to be that the Pixar geeks that were the programmers creating uh, these like super bare bone tools at uh, at Pixar just to make their lives a little easier. Like their shorts were kind of like rudimentary, but then once the software matured to where like you don't have to worry about like how that was like a vertex transformed underneath this, uh, the scenes. You're not writing like transform, rotate, whatever. You're actually using like these direct manipulation tools. Like we get Coco and the Incredibles and like all this other stuff. Um, and, and 99% of people working in that industry right now are creative animators. They're not programmers, right? Like anytime programmers are needed to come in to do something complex, like a hair system, like a water system, a snow system or whatever, they all almost build it as like this parametric um, kind of, thing that is exposed in these design tools or in these direct manipulation tools with like sliders or whatever we can say, well, this hair is like X frizzy and like this 
this level of weight and this is how wet it is. And then, you know, like the, the knowledge of these few programmers that are building like this hair system is now available to like pretty much every 3D animator and like storyteller to like do whatever the hell they want to with hair yeah. or whatever. Right now, we're like in web design and in web application development, we're requiring every single practitioner, like what they imagine that they can build, they have to learn how to build uh, pretty much the, the entirety of it. Uh, and I think we have to get to a world where, where we're like standing on the shoulders of giants like we are in other industries, which we are doing to a degree now with like NPM, right? You're not writing your own like search algorithm um, or your own like little... You're not. <laughs> That's another thing. I do I'm marketing not, yeah. pages. He does search algorithms. <laughs> I don't do search algorithms either. Yeah. <laughs> Outsource that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... Open yeah. source. It's going to be an interesting, like, I think the next year or so is going to be really interesting when it comes to, like, seeing this this divide between design and development, like, crystallize a little bit more on how it can be a lot more um, harmonious mm-hmm. than, uh, like, a lot of the rework that's happening right now. I'm excited, too. Uh, you mentioned uh, <laughs> in the early Webflow days, mm-hmm. what kept you up at night was thinking about your family and, yeah, and yeah. getting home after your kids went to bed. These days, what's keeping you up at night? Uh, last night, a train mm-hmm. that's yeah goes right next. All right, to so my everyone house. starts with the literal one, and yeah, now yeah, I yeah. get a redo. Yeah. <laughs> um. Honestly, I sleep well right now. Good. Yeah, I have like, you know, I I have this goal of sleeping seven hours a day, and I've stuck to that for like, I don't know, the last nine months, pretty much every day, uh, and I like. You're glowing. Con- you look I, great. I, I conk out in a second. So it's, uh, you know, maybe, you know, when I wake up during my drive or, or whatever, like I'm... Like when you wake stuff. up during your drive. <laughs> during your drive. Vlad, <laughs> no, you can't sleep I, while you're driving. <laughs> I know the rules. <laughs> um, anyway, so after I, after I wake up, as I'm driving... After the waking up part, oh. um, you know, there's things that are on my mind. Like we obviously, we have a, a much higher responsibility now. We're not just a design tool, right? Like um, if websites go down, uh, we have now tens of thousands of production websites with some big companies like running their main .com on, on our servers. So if that, if there's any sort of like downtime that can erode trust, right? So we have like, we're running like this hosting architecture and there's just like a, bu- a bunch of things going on in the background right now with like GDPR compliance with like this new European privacy law. Mm-hmm. Um, so, th- but these are like in the, in the grand scheme of things, they're pretty minor. Like they're not, you know, I'm not worried about the company running out of cash because we're profitable at this point. We're congrats. Uh, thank you. Congrats, oh, you sorry, did all the work and you got sorry, that. Sorry, it's not profitable, it's break-even, which is, you know, Close every time enough. you make some profits, you hire another person. Yeah. I'll still uh, say congrats because that's, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Thank you. Which still feels great because you, you, don't, you don't have to like think like, okay, if we run out of cash, we have to go to investors again. Um, you just sort of get to control your own destiny. But it's, aside from what I mentioned before, like trying to constantly think of like, how can we grow the company faster, release products faster, get, um, get our teams to work, you know, more efficiently, that kind of thing. But that's like part of any business. Sure, sure. Yeah, like you're probably thinking, how do I get Bryn to work faster? Uh, every waking every moment <laughs> of my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> while not- Take more meetings, Bryn. Yeah. <laughs> Fewer meetings, that's the answer. Don't do meetings. No, investor meetings is uh, what I'm working on right gotcha. now. Gotcha, fun times. Let me uh, know if you want intros. I think I'm not Thanks, as burnt on it as you are, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's been fun. There. 
<laughs> um, fun times. Actually, well, pre-seed was miserable, and seed was so far has been very fun. Yeah, just because you have yeah you have traction. Now. You learn so much. Yeah, like yeah. that's the best feeling. It's like why engineering or design feels fun at some points. It's uh-huh. like you just learned a ton of stuff. Yeah, exactly. and now I feel like I learned a ton of stuff. Uh-huh. The funny part is that the stuff was about our business that right. <laughs> we'd already been doing. I just didn't know it. Yeah. yeah. The the great part about like the thing that makes a difference um, and why I was so anxious, I think, uh, when fundraising is just confidence. Like mm-hmm. if you're confident that you, or at least you think you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. um, that comes across in totally. just the meeting. Like the you know the the power dynamics are different. That's been the, a huge change yeah. for this one. Yeah, exactly. Like you're just you're like, well, I'm confident that if this conversation doesn't work out. I, you know, we know what we're doing. We're on the right path. And um, for me, I didn't have that. Like Mm -hmm. we were kind of at that, at that time when we were having trouble raising, like we were really rethinking, like maybe we do need to become like a Wix or Weebly um, kind of, you know, consumer based service because, you know, that's been proven as a business and everybody else is saying, telling us that, Mm -hmm. you know, because we would literally have investors say, well, I had my, you know, my son or, um, uh, you know, my spouse try it and it was too hard. Yeah. Uh, therefore, I'm not going to invest. Like, kind of not understanding the the product we were. I mean, the industry that we were in, or mm-hmm. like the the complexity of uh, of the tool. Like, why it needed to be quite sophisticated uh, because it had a lot of power. In pre-seed, that felt really demoralizing. Like, mm-hmm. like Facebook groups and Slack exist. Like, yeah, you yeah, guys exactly. are good. Yeah. Like, no. Have you heard of rsync in yeah. Linux? <laughs> no, they're like IRC is a thing. You know, we're like, yeah. yeah, we know, but right. There's there's right, improvements right. possible. Uh, well, I'm excited. Uh, every time I've been over and gotten a tech demo, I've been excited, and you guys are doing some cool stuff. So, thanks. Excited man. to see what's next. Thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for coming and hanging out. Hanging of out, course. appreciate it. By the way, I I love the, uh, you know, I I didn't know how lucrative the podcast game was. Like, there's we could retire like at gold any point. Pla- gold plated um, like microphones in here. Twenty four karat. Yeah, there's yeah. like a that's just thousand dollar Eames chair over mm-hmm. there. That's right. <laughs> As if you guys are, <laughs> yeah, you guys are loaded. We're, uh, we're pretty rich off this bad boy. <laughs> no, it was a it was a complete pleasure being here. That's talking fun. to you guys about. That's what we strive for: complete yeah. pleasure. <laughs> design details. Design put, details. Put that on complete pleasure. <laughs> put that on your marketing page. Your pleasure is our objective. Nope, that's <laughs> that's not that. All right, all right, cut. <laughs> That was episode 243. Thanks so much to Vlad for coming and hanging out. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you to 243 for being the prefix to my old phone number. Uh, it's a good one. It's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's basically going home is what this is. This is the homecoming episode uh, featuring Vlad Magdalene. Is that a Kanye West reference? No, that was a Bryn's home had that number. That's a bad reference, but hopefully it was a good episode. I mean, everyone gets that one, right? Like everyone personally, personally experienced that. Oh yeah, the 243. Uh, let us know what you thought we have a community for design details on Spectrum it's at spectrum.chat slash specfm that's where we have uh, channels for all of the podcasts that we create for designers and developers just like you uh, that's at spectrum.chat slash specfm uh, and as a reminder last week we, we open sourced everything we're working on at Spectrum and if you're interested in checking it out you can search for us on GitHub and we've created a list of, of good first issues if you are interested in seeing what we're working on and want to get involved in either the open source community or what we're trying to accomplish with Spectrum. Uh, thank you to everyone who's been contributing so far. It's been really, really good week. Or if you just want to like use 
spectrum for communities because it's really good for that and you don't only have to have like one account and one inbox and one set mm-hmm. of notifications and one mm-hmm. set of settings and mm-hmm. everything just comes to you from all your communities at once mm-hmm. it's pretty chill mm-hmm. check it out spectrum.chat thanks so much to us and with that see you next week <laughs> <laughs>